Hey, folks, I'm Mark Marin from the WTF Podcast, and this episode is brought to you by Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues, your ally to help tackle your allergy symptoms this season. I love the change of seasons, but nobody loves pollen and all those other things floating in the air that make you sneeze during this nice weather. Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues are hypoallergenic and allergist approved. So fight back against watery eyes and runny noses without worrying about irritating your skin. For this allergy, Allergy season, grab Kleenex and face allergies head on. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hello and welcome to Cinematic Universe, the podcast that does for comic book movies what the Fantastic Four do for comic book movies. I'm Seb Patrick and joining me in the Fantastic R are... James Hunt. And Steve Lacey. Hooray! Steve, hello. Hello. We've finally, like nearly five years in, and having known you for all of that time, <laughs> uh, we finally managed to get you on a Fantastic Four episode of Cinematic Universe, and indeed an episode of Cinematic Universe full stop. Uh, do you want to explain to everybody who you are and why we would want to get you on for a, a Fantastic Four episode? I, I'm, I'm Steve Lacey. I'm a podcaster. And the reason why you'd have me on is because I have the tapes and I will release them. <laughs> um, <laughs> no, uh, I'm a podcaster and I podcast about the Fantastic Four for eight years now. Um, myself and my podcast co-host Andy Leyland have been doing a, an issue by issue read through of the Fantastic Four from not just the beginning of the Fantastic Four, but also the beginning of the Marvel Age of Comics uh, as Fantastic Four number one was the, the first kind of modern era Marvel comic to be published. So we've been going through that uh for the past eight years we're now in the early 1980s we're about oh five or six months away from john Byrne. Ooh, that's um, exciting which does unfortunately mean we're doing doug munch and bill sinkevich um <laughs> but we've also been doing all the spin-offs um take a look at where they pop up in other books and all the little cameos as well and, and just trying to capture everything on a month-by-month basis and it's been yeah. great fun kind of watching especially in the early days watching stanley and jack kirby kind of work out what they can do with a shared universe and indeed what a shared universe is <laughs> Me and Seb have both been guests on uh, Fantastic Cast. Has Joe been on as well? I forget. Joe has been yes, on, yes. Has, yeah. <laughs> yeah. But he doesn't count anymore, so... Uh, <laughs> can you remember specifically what episodes we were all on? I can't remember the or episode did you numbers. Beforehand? Uh, no, I didn't do that, but uh, Seb, you joined us for the first appearance of Adam Warlock. I did, so that came in really handy when Guardians of the Galaxy 2 came out and I was able to talk about Adam Warlock purely because of having I, done that on the podcast. I believe he appeared for about the same amount of time in both yes. things, because he literally turns up for in, one in, panel at in the In the same form, yeah. roughly. <laughs> sort of turns up goes, oh, I'm all mysterious, then bye, and that's his first appearance. Yeah, I'm pretty sure I did a Marvel team-up issue, or Marvel 2-in-1 maybe. You came off one of our early Marvel team-up issues when it yeah. was basically a Spider-Man Human Torch team-up book. 
That's the one. Um, so that was a few years back. And I'm desperately racking my brains to remember what we had Joe on for without going and looking at my sheet. Um, but over the years, we've had all three of you on and it, it's been great. And I've been sitting there patiently over the over the years going, oh, no, not this time. Not this time. Well, the problem is there haven't been very many Fantastic Four films. And well, we've had two previous opportunities and for various reasons, they didn't come off. But yeah. this time around, we are going to be discussing Tim Story's 2007 film, Fantastic Four, Rise of the Silver Surfer. Uh, Before that, we will discuss some of the latest comic book movie and TV news. But before that, uh, because we have a bona fide Fantastic Four comics expert on the podcast with us, James and I actually get to be the naive uh, guys who don't know anything. Uh, And I'm kind of tempted to ask you why it is or how it is that a Doug Manchin, Bill Senkovich run on a comic is actually bad because they're generally good creators. Uh, But instead, the thing that I want to ask you that I don't understand about the Fantastic Four Mm -hmm. is, why do you like the Fantastic Four? (laughs) Uh, uh, Sorry, my Skype's going. Bye. (laughs) (laughs) I, 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 I only mean that in a mildly snarky way. What I really mean is... The Fantastic Four occupy a huge and significant place in comics history. Mm-hmm. Um, as we'll discuss in discussing this film, they have proven a difficult sell in movies. And even though they are the team that kickstarted the whole Marvel Universe, in not just from like me and James, but I think among comics people in general, with exceptions, they they often don't get the respect that they maybe seem like they would deserve. So. As someone who obviously does love them, tell us where we're all going wrong. I think part of this is that you have probably... I reckon there are five truly great runs of the Fantastic Four, and out of those, there are two ones which stand as the best of the superhero comics. That's the Stanley Jack Kirby stuff, although not all of it, and then the John Byrne stuff. Um, And yeah, when it flies high, it flies really high. It but it was also the book that suffered, you know, after Jack Kirby left Marvel in nineteen the early 70s and went to DC and Stan was trying to carry on. Uh, there was a sense of imposter syndrome with pretty much every creative team that came on board for the next decade of, oh, we're standing in shoes that are far too big for us. And it, it, I feel like the, the, the shine went from them in a way that it didn't with Spider-Man after Ditko left and after Romita left. That was able to keep going and still be this fascinating, creative, original book. Um, I... You've got one of the best characters in all of comics, which is Ben Grimm, the ever-loving blue-eyed thing. <laughs> Someone who you can you look at any time he's speaking, you hear his voice perfectly. He's got one of the most recognisable voices in comics. Um, it, it it also does these things which not many other comics do. So for the majority of its run in the comics, Reed and Sue have been parents. That's never, ever happened in any of their multimedia appearances. But they've had a kid. Okay, some half the time they've palmed that kid off onto a babysitter and the writers have gone, we have no idea what to do with this kid. But they've had that. So, yeah, part of it is, although this weight of history, part of it is, well, what happens between these huge lights? What happens between Kirby and Byrne? Oh, oh, that happens between Kirby and Byrne. Um, the creativity of the Stan and Jack stuff is really hard to hold anything up against it because it's so good especially when you're looking at things like uh, Jack Kirby experimenting with multimedia collage within the narrative Uh, and you have this incredible period of creativity where it's just concept after concept after concept being launched and not a huge amount of um, falling back on okay Doctor Doom pops up every now and again but 
more often than not, you're getting a new concept which then has legs and life far beyond. Uh, him as an example, Adam Warlock, who is barely defined within the Fantastic Four, but through further appearances and other people going, well, we want to do more with this character, you then get Adam Warlock. I mean, those those first uh, those first like fifty issues of Fantastic Four. You look at the amount of characters who came out of those, and like, yeah. if you if you just created like Galactus or just the Inhumans, that would be enough. Mm-hmm. But it's all in there. Like Black Panther is thrown in there. Was was that a Kirby creation yes, in that yeah. Fantastic Four Fifty Two? Yeah, yeah. It's probably the run from about thirty eight through to sixty is the true golden run where you've got the inhuman saga you've got the galactus trilogy you've got black panther and then you've got the the truly great doctor doom silver surfer story mm-hmm. uh, as well as one-off classics like this man this monster still one of the greatest single issue yeah, stories definitely. ever absolutely i mean i'm I, th- I feel like seb might have undersold my in interest in the fantastic four slightly because <laughs> i've I've not read a lot of the Fantastic Four, but I've read Kirby and Lee and Kirby. I've read the John Byrne stuff. Uh, I read Chris Claremont's run. Mm -hmm. I read Jonathan Hickman's run. And I broadly enjoy all of them. Um, Wade and Waringo, never really got into that. Dan Slott's Ah. current run, I tried. I didn't really get into that. Mm-hmm. Completely. But, you know, there are a lot of good runs on them. Yeah, and there's also a lot of just kind of weird stuff that i'm discovering uh for instance marvel put out this fantastic line of trade paperbacks called the epic collections Mm -hmm. which are kind of the replacement for the marvel masterworks but they're they're a little cheaper for the volume you get but also a bit more expansive than that uh so for instance a recent one i got had a bernie wrightson drawn hulk thing one shot that i had no idea existed i had no (laughs) idea bernie wrightson ever drawn the thing and the hulk and i'm just like yeah i'm lapping this up uh, yeah, and then there's there's the love and the reverence that everyone has for them. And I think it's mostly justified. It's not just, oh, we love this because it, people today, it's the classics. Um, in the way that perhaps, uh, ooh, I'm wary to use this word on the show, but in the way that you can look at Watchmen and just go, well, it's this big classic thing, therefore it is brilliant, rather than actually challenging <laughs> its flaws and its attitudes in place and understanding what's really going on with it. We're allowed to talk about Watchmen. It's just the, I, I not know, the TV yeah. series. You, you all get very angry, and then I have to skip ahead. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so we've established that you like the Fantastic Four. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I, I think it's just as I say. I, I mean, I've, I, I, it's not. It's not that I've you know never read a Fantastic Four comic that I enjoyed, and I, I, I can see when people talk about what the appeal is is meant to be. Um, it's just never. F- I've, I've, I think I've, I've wanted to like it. I think more than I have generally done. Um, I, 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 I don't disagree with you in the slightest about the thing. Um, and that Ben should be more of a way into it. I think for me than than he's turned out to be because yeah, I can't argue with you about um what an enjoyable and memorable character he is. But yeah, so I will, I will look forward to hearing. A little bit later, how these film versions—I think we're going to talk about all of the film versions—stack uh, up to the comics, in your view. I, I, I genuinely, ahead of this, I don't know what you think of any of the Fantastic Four films. Ah. I've managed to either miss or forget any time that you've mentioned what you think of any of the films. Well, so, James um, was there, so uh, uh, James uh, helped me get to see the 2015 version <laughs> and saw my immediate reactions, which have evolved quite a lot since then okay but yeah for later (laughs) well we'll talk well yeah we'll talk about that a bit later um but first let's move on to discussing some news uh and at the outset of this news section uh i would just like to play a little music 
one of, of course, the most memorable TV theme tunes of all time there. Um, fun fact, I've seen Remy Zero live because they supported Weezer when I went to see them in 2002, and the singer went off stage ill before they even played Save Me. So, like, the one thing that anyone would have wanted to see them for, they didn't actually play. <laughs> that was, of course, the theme tune from Smallville, the incredibly fondly remembered 2000s uh, Superman, but not Superman, Clark Kent-based TV show. It kicked off and all then... this prequel nonsense that the WB and Warner love to do. Yeah. Um, yeah, without Smallville, there would be no Gotham. Um, there would be no Krypton. <laughs> There would, I mean, there wouldn't be a lot of things. And actually, mm. the the C, the the makers of the CW uh, shows have have said on record that you know w- without Smallville, you know Smallville kind of paved the way for what they're doing, and that's relevant. And the reason why they were talking about that is because Tom Welling has been announced as reprising his role as Clark Kent in the increasingly crowded Arrowverse Crisis on Infinite Earths crossover. We already know that we're getting Brandon Routh back as a version of Superman. Uh, it's also bringing Black Lightning and related characters over. I, I saw today, which I wasn't aware before, that Tom Kavanagh, obviously better known for playing the various Harrison Wellses, is playing Pariah from the Crisis on Infinite Earth story. Um, so I don't know if he's going to be related to the character of Harrison Wells or if they're just using Tom Kavanagh because it's Tom Kavanagh. Um, but yeah, Tom Welling back as Clark Kent finally. <laughs> I really wish I had any emotional investment in like those old shows or these ones because this is a really cool like thing well, they're yes. doing. I mean, yeah, that's the thing. I, 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 you know, I did watch the first season of Smallville. I didn't watch anything beyond that, even when they were bringing in characters like Star Girl and Booster Gold. Mm. Um, but you know, whether or not you have an investment in the show, I think we can all agree that. This is really cool. And this is another thing I think is really good for bringing attention to to what they're doing. It'll certainly bring in people like me who have generally dropped off watching these shows. I'm absolutely going to watch what they're doing here. Uh, But Steve, you do watch these shows. I do. Um, So this is a nicely timed bit of news because we talked a little bit recently about the... And actually, just to clear this one up as a fan, right? I do generally call it the Flarrowverse, but is is that kind of looked down on? Is that not the term? Is it it Arrowverse as far as fans are concerned? I I think so. And with the cancellation, well, not cancellation, the wrapping up of Arrow, I think CWverse is probably a a better way of talking about it. But yeah, this is is cool. I mean, (laughs) about three hours before recording, I'd spent all week going, I really hope there's some crisis news and I couldn't have asked for better stuff. So um, during last year's crossover, when they moved the narrative from the the flash and arrow verse uh, earth sorry to the supergirl earth they go through a portal at which point remy zero kicks in at which point the camera goes to the smallville from smallville to the kent farm <laughs> from smallville and for the briefest of briefest seconds i thought we were going to get tom welling in that moment as it turns out it was just a huge tease and what we actually got was a brilliant um super uh, clark kent cara and lois scene but this is just manner from heaven. Like, <laughs> yeah, we never got the Superman reveal at the end of Smallville. It, it I was mean, a, it was the most fudged oh, it thing was horrible. ever, wasn't it? <laughs> you, uh, they did a, a brilliant flash forward episode in the last season, which gave us the Clark Lois Perry dynamic that you just want. It was about as good as it could be. And then they end the series with another flash forward to that as well, with him firmly established. And then he just runs it off. He reaches for a shirt and then runs off camera before he pulls it off and flies away. 
uh, as they mistime it with the John Williams music. So I, this will hopefully <laughs> wrap that one up. But we're in this for the three-way shot, aren't we? We're in this for Brandon Routh, um, Tom Welling and Tyler Hooklin, or however you pronounce his name, um, all in the same shot in their various Superman suits. What are the odds of Dean Cain coming in for it? No, not the bad Superman. There's no room for Bizarro <laughs> in this. Which is weird because he is already in that universe. Yep. But it's like, yeah, yeah. We, we, no, we, we don't want him. He doesn't count anymore. He's ruined it. No, uh, well, they've um, had Kristen Kroak before, haven't they? Didn't she replace? Oh no, they had not her. Um, they it was the Smallville Lois replaced in Supergirl as as her mother. Oh right. But I mean, they could always get like Sam Jones. The th- oh wait, maybe not. Or may- maybe Alison. Ma- uh, no, maybe not. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, a lot of cancelled actors around. <laughs> yeah. So. I mean, do you think, I mean, surely though as well, right? Because it, it's also been confirmed that, again, I don't follow the shows, but mm. apparently Lex Luthor, uh, John Cryer's Lex Luthor was killed off in Supergirl, but yep. he's coming back. Well, there's multiple Lexes in Crisis. Yeah. Well, if, you, if you've got John Cryer playing Lex and if you've got other Lexes, surely they're going to get Michael Rosenbaum, yeah. aren't they? The hope is, because let's face it, we're never going to see him as Martin X again. And, and you're now going, who? Who's that? He he he's the crystal <laughs> guardian of the galaxy that turned up in the post credit scene. Oh god, of course. Oh, yeah, god. right. Yeah, from Guardians course. Two. <laughs> <laughs> if those guys come back, I will yeah. be very surprised. I think though, I think they will come back. I think that's. I think when we finally get to Guardians Three, I think they'll come back in a Disney Plus series. <laughs> 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 They're right yeah. for it. This is how yeah. we work out the contracts. <laughs> um but yeah, so this is just this is a lot of fun. Um but and also as I say, sort of it does it does give us that pretext for um I say well I I talked sort of fairly uh ill informedly about the, the the current status of the various <laughs> Yeah, you recently yeah. cancelled one of the shows. <laughs> yeah, you cancelled Legends I, uh, yes. of Tomorrow. <laughs> I, I, I revealed the exclusive news that Legends of Tomorrow have been cancelled, um, which they they've they've defied me by refusing to cancel it uh, in the wake of that announcement. Um but yeah, so I just uh, I, as a fan, Steve, as someone who someone who does keep up with this stuff, what is the current sort of give us a quick run through through each show uh, tell us something interesting that it's done or is doing and whether or not it's any good and what its prospects okay. are okay uh so the big surprise is that arrow's really good uh because it went through <laughs> a few years of being bad but the first half of the season seven where it was just Stephen amell in prison occasionally fighting vinnie jones and michael j white was genuinely what <laughs> brilliant because they just lent it to the fact that it was all physical fights. They couldn't really rely on any of the sort of CG stuff. And it was genuinely gripping. The the one episode where Kirk Acevedo takes over the prison and it's just a fight for survival was one of the best episodes I've ever seen of it. Um, the, the Flash continues to throw evil speeders at the Flash and it's just like, yeah, sure, seen it, done it. But then it does things like give us an episode where Gorilla Grodd fights King Shark. <laughs> They also seem to keep giving him new costumes. They're just like edging him more and more comicsy with each season. It seems yeah. it's like when it when it first started, we were like, "Oh, that costume's quite good." Although you can see why they've made it non-comicsy. And then the first time they made it a bit more like the comics one, we were like, "Oh, wow, it's more like the comics one." And then they just keep doing that more and more. <laughs> mm. Um, it has felt this past season like it's um just sort of been just carrying on. It it, it hasn't had that spark that previous seasons have had. Uh, so I, I felt a little let down by this season, but you know we've we've got a crisis coming. Um, Legends of Tomorrow is still fun. Uh, I don't think it was quite as insanely fun as season three, where the finale of that ended up with a giant, effectively tickled me Elmo toy beating up a thirty foot tall time demon. <laughs> 
Right. That that was uh, just astonishing. But it, it still continues to do crazy things like uh, pop up on the Lord of the Rings set to get John um, Noble to record a line because he voices the main villain and they need a, an imitation of his voice. It, it continues to just go, we are the craziest show on TV and we're leaning into that. Um yeah, so that, and Supergirl it is still good. It's taken a bit of a dark attack by trying to tackle the current state of America and, and the the rise of the alt right, which made for a bit of uncomfortable viewing at times, but also gave us Bruce Boxleitner as Donald Trump light, which was quite enjoyable. Hmm. Um, and Black Lightning is the show that no one talks about, but it is really good. It's a, a more people should be watching that. You've got some of the best casting, some really great action. It's incredibly confident. And Crondon as the the main bad guy in that device, well, is phenomenal. He might be the best actor in the whole of the CW superhero shows. So that's about is that about to go into its third season? third season? Yep, and they're going to do a bit of a cameo in the crossover, but they're not tying in fully. So hopefully a little more than a Red Skies crossover. That's a very deep dive DC term there, but yeah. And Batwoman's coming. Batwoman's on the way, yeah, yes. Um, uh, Ruby Rose was great in her episode of the, the crossover last year, so I'm very excited to see what they're doing with this one. And they, they they seem to be sort of using Crisis, I think, to ramp up the Bat connections, because we know we're getting Burt Ward doing something, yep. and we're getting Kevin Conroy playing a Bruce Wayne, which will that be our first bruce wayne in the arrow verse i know he's been mentioned early on in arrow but have they ever actually had no they they, haven't had a version of bruce the current status so they've hit teased at gotham for ages when they finally went there the status is that batman and bruce wayne have both been gone for a while so the city is falling down and then batwoman is starting to step in right the the sort of the obvious suggestion is that kevin conroy is going to play the bruce wayne from batman beyond where he is an older bruce wayne Mm. and that would be supremely cool because conroy voiced that character as well yeah. So all in all, it's pretty good. Yeah, that whole meme from about a year and a half ago was saying, oh, is Avengers Infinity War the most ambitious crossover ever? I kind of want to say <laughs> with the sheer scope of what they're pulling into this from all different versions of characters, I kind of think this is the one that should be taking that crown. It'll be seen by like a hundredth of the people. <laughs> Do you think, I mean, again, as someone who who will come into this, you know, I, I have a vague awareness of, even when from shows I haven't watched, I know about the characters, you know, the characters who are different or the characters they've created for these series, that kind of thing. But for someone who's not keeping up with what's going on in the shows and hasn't since like, flash season two do you think the crossover will be immediately accessible do you think i'll need to catch up on the season leading up to it how do they generally play this over the past few years because i know they did elseworlds yeah. last year the, the elseworlds was pretty standalone you had some scenes where people would explain the background to what's going on but the ongoing plot lines wouldn't be so relevant it's not as it was i think during the invasion one from three years ago where we also had the hundredth arrow episode so it was very much tied up in its own history during that what we are going to have with this is Crisis is going to end Arrow and we'll give resolution to one plot line from the last year's crossover, which was a deal that Oliver's done with the Watcher. And we don't know what that entails, but we suspect that's how we're going to lose Arrow from the um, CW verse. I, I know you meant Monitor when you said Watcher. I can forgive you because, oh. you know, Fantastic Four frame of mind. <laughs> yes, <laughs> I totally. Yes. OK. And it's like 10 o'clock at night here. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yes, the Monitor, played by the excellent yeah. um, LaMonica Garrett. He's really good in that. He doesn't get much to do, but he is he's just the Monitor. And the same actor is playing the Anti-Monitor as well. I think so, um, yes. I'm looking forward to... What about to... the Uncle Monitor? <sighs> Sorry. 
that's me making a naive joke when when obviously I know exactly who the anti-monitor is because I love Crisis on Infinite Earths. Um, yeah, so I'm looking forward to that crossover. Evidently, Steve, you are as a as a fan, and you would, yeah. you would recommend that that all of us listening and being on this show should should check it out when it comes along. In is it November, December? Uh, three. It's a five parter. Three episodes are in December, and then the last two episodes will pick up in January. So it, it they the tagline was five episodes two quarters which didn't make any sense to me but that's what it means. Oh, those Americans and their crazy TV technology. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Um. Well, we'll stick with DC for a bit before moving on to some Marvel news. Uh, because there was a a great and exciting piece of uh DC movie related news, which does feel still feels like a strange thing to say in this day and age, but we're we're in this new era now. Um. All of a sudden, from out of the... I mean, not completely out of the blue, actually, because obviously we'd speculated on our last episode uh, about the talk about Peter Capaldi signing up for James Gunn's The Suicide Squad. Uh, and then, without any advance fanfare or ceremony, uh, James Gunn tweeted uh, a cast list. Uh, and a graphic with... Uh, how many? I need to count them, actually. 4, 8, 12, 16, 24. 24 names with the tagline, Don't get too attached. And this, um, I mean, actually, to be honest, there's something about this that the thing that excited me about this image more than any other was nothing to do with any of the names that are on it. But we'll come to that. (laughs) The names themselves, we're not going to talk about everyone in detail, but I am going to read through the entire list for those who somehow haven't seen it. And I apologize in advance for any pronunciation mistakes that I might make. Uh, because I'm not. This is where we need Joe. Joe is really good at knowing how to pronounce actors' names. It's pronounced Rooker, Michael Rooker. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So we've got uh, David Dasmalchian. Uh, we've got John Cena. We've got uh, returning Jai Courtney. Mm-hmm. Uh, we've got Joaquin Cosio, uh, Nathan Fillion, uh, also returning Joel Kinnaman, uh, Mailing Ng, uh, Flula Borg, Sean Gunn, uh, Juan Diego Botto, Storm Reed, Pete Davidson, Taika Waititi. Mm. Uh, I should have done these in a different order to like keep the exciting ones, but I'm just doing them in the order they're on the sheet. Uh, Alice Braga, Steve Aggie. Steve Agee. Agee. Steve Agee. Okay, there we go. Uh, Tanashi Kajazi. You're on your own. <laughs> um, this feels really offensive when I can't pronounce people's names right. And I should, The thing is, if you look them up, people, people online don't tell you the right answer anyway. People always disagree about name pronunciation. Daniela Melchior, Peter, I mean, even Peter Capaldi. Some people say Peter Capaldi, some people say Peter Capaldi. So, uh, Julio Ruiz, Jennifer Holland, Viola Davis, Idris Elba, Margot Robbie, and Michael Rooker. Um, (laughs) So, what we've got there is a combination of returning people from the first Suicide Squad, and obviously we knew Margot Robbie was back. I think it was anticipated that Viola Davis would return, and I don't know how much it was expected that Jai Courtney and Joel Kinnaman would be back. I think both Kinnaman and Davis have been confirmed, Um, but this was the first I'd heard about Davis, but I'm, I'm just really pleased to see those four back from the first film, because they were great in that, and yeah. I was going to say, the first film, for all its flaws... There was some good stuff in it, and I think those actors definitely qualify. Yeah. The first film cast itself ex- cr- incredibly well, with one major exception. One major exception, yeah. yeah. We don't need to go into that, because he's not on no. the list. Good. We've then got uh, James Gunn's mates, 
So <laughs> Sean uh, Gunn, Michael Rucker. We've we've Nathan got Sean Fillion. Gunn and Michael Rucker from uh, Suicide uh, from Guardians of the Galaxy, and Nathan Fillion, who is also technically from Guardians of the Galaxy, but uh, was was also a cameo in Guardians of the Galaxy because he's mates with James Gunn. Mm-hmm. We've got David Tasmachian, who just keeps showing up in these things <laughs> recently. Pete Davidson had been rumoured before. Yep. This is where we're kind of moving into then the sort of, you know, uh, well, name, there was names that had been mooted and obviously Capaldi had been talked about. And then you've got names that have just come out of nowhere. So I don't know if John Cena had been linked with this in the slightest before now, but that's a pretty big deal. And Taika Waititi, mm. which, you know, <laughs> it's Taika Waititi. And a bunch of other people, uh, some of whom I do recognize. Oh, obviously, uh, Idris Elba had been rumoured before. Yeah. Um, other people who, you know, some of whom I recognise the names of, some I don't. Some have been who I've seen being good in things, others I, I don't know so well. But yeah, it's a it's a very big cast. As James Gunn says, don't get too attached. The clear implication is that a number of these characters won't be alive by the end of the film. <laughs> I want to know how many do we think will be alive by the end of the film? Well like four <laughs> i would say um, not many my suspicion is that we may get a, an x-force style um <laughs> decimation of a lot of them in one go i would fairly bank upon the fact here's here's my prediction now that the film opens in the middle of a mission and one of these big names possibly john cena possibly taika waititi possibly nathan fillion is dead like before the opening credits I reckon. That you might just do a kill your faves. Yeah. And just kill off Fillion, <laughs> Cena, Rooker, <Yeah>. Wititi. <laughs> because, I, I, I mean, I, again, I could be wrong about this. I, the, Particularly the ones who've come over from Marvel and the ones that we know are still going to be doing Marvel stuff in future. It, you know, it's not that we're in a, a time when people can't work in these multiple franchises, and we've seen plenty of examples <laughs> yeah, of it. And right, the unless they have contracts that prevent them, which they almost certainly well, will if they're going to come back to Marvel. So, mm. well, so yeah, so I, I, I don't think we, I, I wouldn't see any of those being major characters in this. I think this is their mates with James Gunn and do we give a favour sort of thing. And I think we can rule out Taika Waititi surviving to the end of the film. That's one thing. Yes. And he'll probably have the the best death, the goriest, most over-the-top one. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, my actually, my theory is that anyone we've seen in the previous movie will probably appear in the sort of pre-credit sequence where they all die, and then probably Viola Davis will be like, uh, let's get a new team together. Mm. And that's when a bunch of the others turn up. Well, they're not killing... Harley Quinn, though. Well, obviously not Harley <laughs> Quinn, no. And, and yeah, no, I mean, I, I would have thought Joel Kinnaman would <laughs> sort of... Mm. Mm. Would what? Would make it? Because I don't. Um, but it's because he's, he's Rick Flagg, right? Yes. Yeah, so, I don't know. You, you keep Rick Flagg around. <laughs> <laughs> do you? If you're James Gunn, yeah. do you? <laughs> if you're James Gunn, you keep well, Michael Rooker around. <laughs> <laughs> okay, the thing is, though, if you're James Gunn and if you're making, and this brings us on to the thing that I really liked about this image more than anything, if you're using the logo of the John Ostrander and Luke McDonnell Suicide Squad run from the 1980s, that rather, if you're, you know, well, basically the, the logo itself and the font that all the names are in is is from that comic. That suggests, and stuff that's been talked about before, suggest that they are very heavily leaning on that series for inspiration for this film and rick flag is the main leader of the team in that run so 
I would expect him to have a significant role in this. I'm not saying it's impossible. I'm just saying <laughs> you're trusting a lot about a font choice there. Mm. I am, but it just it it just gives me sort of I I, I just you know I really things I really really love that comic. It's a really great comic. I've talked about it in detail before about how you know everybody should go out and read it because it is excellent. It's it's I I tweeted about this uh, actually in the aftermath of this image coming online about how. In 1987, DC debuted some absolutely fantastic comics in an incredible, like, close-together run of quality. And just in the month of May 1987, there were some superb single issues, including the first issues of this Suicide Squad and the Gifford and Dematis Justice League. You know, it's it, it for me. It, it represents so much that is great about late eighties DC comics. So I, you know, I know that this film is gonna. It's not going to be as kind of dark and serious as that. I'm sure this is going to be light-hearted fun in a lot of ways, although very, very black comedy fun because it's James Gunn and it's the Suicide Squad. But you know, I just i I would like to see, and I'm hoping to see, and I'm expecting to see something that does hew closer to, to to the characters of that comic, the setup of that comic, the revolving door cast of that comic, which very much seems to be what this is leaning towards. Yeah, it's just, as I say, it's, it's not even in... And we, in a couple of cases, your Taika Waititi, Peter Capaldi, it is, it's, it's exciting because of who they are. But really, the exciting thing here is how many people there were in it. <laughs> <laughs> is there anyone from the first film that you wish was on this list and isn't? Will Smith. I mean, yeah, yeah. I think everyone would say Will Smith, wouldn't they? And Caroline said that on our last episode as well. For me, it's Karen Fukuhara. Yeah, that she would have been good, yeah. Because I love Katana, I love her visual. She was massively underserved by the first film. Lots of little moments where I thought there could have been a lot more. And it felt like Aya wanted to do more in a follow-up film. She's busy in another superhero universe now anyway. Is she? Yes, she's, she's, she's the female in The Boys. I nod like I know what that is. <laughs> I I bought all the comics on a humble bundle like four years ago and I haven't even got around to downloading them and I've not seen the series. So <laughs> watch the series; it's better than the comic. I like the comic, but the series the series is great. I've 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 reviewed it on the website. Go and read the review. But yes, so no, I mean I, I mean I agree. She's very good. Um, this is the uh, yeah, the, but this is the thing with the previous film. It's like the other than that one exception that we talked about and and possibly uh to an extent um the villain as well they the cast weren't the problem the the, the problem was kind of what they were given mm. and uh i think i think a lot of people see this as a as an opportunity to kind of redeem and give another chance to what was good about the first film yeah and, and uh, yeah watching it in the cinema i had a cracking time even though i knew it wasn't a particularly good film but I've struggled a lot with it since. Yeah, it's not. I don't think it's a film you should ever rewatch. Well, a bit late for that. <laughs> <laughs> I would not rule out a Will Smith appearance, mm. though. I think if they can find a way to have some kind well, of. Well, wasn't there? Wasn't the rumor that Idris Elba was going to be playing Deadshot? And now he's not. Yeah, but he's not. Okay, yeah, it's a new so. character, so I think he'll be playing someone that we don't know from the comics. But I hope he plays Bronze Tiger. I was going to say, I mean, it's you, you. I mean, you really want to see Bronze Tiger in that lineup. Uh, that seems the obvious choice for him. Possibly too obvious, <laughs> so maybe they won't go down that route. I like the idea that Bronze Bronze Tiger could be an obvious choice for anything. <laughs> <laughs> well, he, this is the era that we're in. He, there. He's played by Spawn in the Arrowverse. So. <laughs> um, do you have any particular thoughts of any any DC villains you'd like to... I mean, I was going to say any past members of the Suicide Squad, but the thing is, it, almost every DC villain has 
been in there at some point. Do you have any thoughts about anybody you'd like to see any of these people playing? I mean, I'd like the Secret Six, the the um, <laughs> the Gail Simone version. So I want to mm. see a Catman and uh, admittedly Deadshot's part of that, but Ragdoll. I, I'd, I'd love to see some of those characters in it. Mm. I don't think we're going to get We have had Ragman in The Flash and suitably creepy as well. Um, but mm. yeah, I think uh, it seems that for the purposes of adaptation, at least, I think I think Secret Six and Suicide Squad generally get considered to be pretty much the same thing. You know, yeah. even though they are they are different groups and they do have slightly different setups and motivations, they do have crossover of members. They have appeared together in comics, yep. and I think John Ostrander think... co-wrote some issues as well. Yeah. There's, yeah, because there, there was that direct crossover partway through the Secret Six run, wasn't yeah. there, where, where he came on? And I think, I don't think there's anything wrong with taking elements of Secret Six and calling them Suicide Squad for the purposes of a movie. Mm. So, you know, I, I don't think we're going to get Bane's arc, for example, but I think for we sure. could get some of the characters who aren't really very well known outside of the Secret Six used. Um, it would make sense because there's some really good characters in there and some some really good character arc stuff in there. So I do think Capaldi is Dr. Light, much as I'd like him to be the writer. Got to be the writer. He shaved his head. (laughs) If anyone was going to do something that meta, it would be James Gunn. It would. I don't even really want to guess at who anyone else is, unless now that I've just said that we won't get Bane, you don't think John Cena's playing Bane, do you? (laughs) (laughs) mm. My opinion of John Cena isn't particularly high. Every time I see him in something, I go like, oh, yeah, you really want to be The Rock, don't you? You want that effortlessness that Dwayne Johnson has. I, I Everyone's just turned off. I, I've sinned. <laughs> I'm just looking down a list of Suicide Squad characters to see if there's anybody else that jumps out. That I, just, I think, I I think it's probably time to move on, isn't it? We've had like 20 yeah. minutes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's exciting, James. It might be. It, it, we might get a good Suicide Squad. I want to get to the Fantastic Four. Saw that coming. All right. Well, before we get to Fantastic Four, we've got one more bit of news, which actually uh, happened so long ago at the time of recording, and even longer ago at probably the time of release, that you had to remind me of it. But moving over to Marvel, uh, which will uh, oh. delight Steve, I'm sure, as we go over to the MCU. <laughs> oh, so um, we, we, we're not going to do the Harley Quinn poster then? Uh, nah, it's just a poster. Oh, okay. It's just a poster, yeah. We, we, we talked a bit about Birds of Prey when the with about the leaked teaser last time, so okay. I don't think the poster showed us much. That, it's a cool poster, it looks good, mm. uh, but it doesn't show us much that I think we hadn't already got an impression of Fair enough, from then. that yeah. teaser. But over at, at Marvel um, and Disney Plus' Hawkeye show, uh, the thing that, that ironically we're all looking forward to, but now, seriously, we're all looking forward to because uh, it's being heavily suggested that uh, they are looking at Haley Steinfeld to play Kate Bishop, and that rather heavily, looking at a name of that level, certainly suggests that the show will be almost entirely centred around Kate Bishop, you would think. Series? It's a series, right? Not a film. Yes, yeah, it's, yeah, yeah. Yeah. it's a Disney Plus series, yeah. Um, I don't think I've seen her in anything, so sure, why not? Have you not seen Into the Spider-Verse, Steve? Uh, but I didn't see her in that. I heard her in that. Have you seen Bumblebee? Because no. she's great in that. Okay, James, tell us about uh, Hayley Steinfeld in Bumblebee. Uh, <laughs> I don't know. She's just cool. She's like, you know, if Megan Fox's character had been an actual functioning character instead of someone who sort of fucked a motorbike. Yeah, someone there for Michael Bay to masturbate to off camera. Yeah. Mm. That's what Hayley Steinfeld is like. Same energy. Really good. Really, like, Bumblebee is a great movie, and I know it's part of the Transformers Bayverse, but it's really good. I'd recommend anyone watch that movie, especially if you like this kind of comics trash we always talk about. (laughs) It almost makes the Hawkeye series interesting. 
Well, I think potentially being about Kate Bishop makes the Hawkeye series interesting. Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm actually interested in it now as opposed to when when Jeremy Renner was running the show because you know Jeremy Renner. He's got another franchise to wheedle his way into, I'm sure. I mean, he, Haley Atwell is going to be taking over that role <laughs> presumably, so. We'll see. Mm. We shall see. And the, the the other Disney Plus news, I found it quite funny that even Disney Plus don't want to buy the new Warriors TV show. <laughs> they, even Disney don't want to buy their own TV. Like, how bad <laughs> could it have been? Would it make Powerless look interesting? <laughs> we, uh, we we should take a moment for that, actually. The, the, the sad death of the new Warriors show. We're, we're never going to get to see what that TV version of Squirrel Girl was going to look like. Yeah. Which is interesting because the, you know there was that there was that period of time when the comic was at its peak of popularity, and it seemed an inevitability that Squirrel Girl was going to make it into other media, and then it ended up being this new Warriors show, and then sort of I mean the comic is well the comic is is wrapping up imminently, and I think definitely has lost some of the attention that it used to get you know it's it's not as popular as it was in what are we talking 2017 2016 2017 yeah when it was really you know one of the biggest things in kind of comics talk circles i'm not sure in terms of sales and i think with this show having gone i think is that kind of it for squirrel girls cultural moment now like you can't really see anyone deciding to do a squirrel girl tv show in a in a year or so's time, can you? No, we'll see. I mean, any character who's in the MCU could turn up at any time at this point, so I don't think it's it. That's it for Squirrel Girl. I think it's unlikely she's going to lead her own TV show. Mm. But you know, we got She-Hulk eventually. True, we did. And She-Hulk doesn't even have a comic at the moment. A character that is just as weird as Squirrel Girl. So, or as the Americans call her, Squirrel Girl. Yeah, it's so weird. <laughs> <laughs> the name that rhymes in American and Scottish. <laughs> It's only because they pronounce it Giddle. <laughs> <laughs> We're going to get letters. <laughs> I'm going to get talked just, to by Al at Thought Bubble. Al, yeah. yeah. <laughs> okay, so, I mean, James, look, it was you who brought this up, so if you don't have any further thoughts about Hayley Steinfeld as Kate Bishop, then other than to go, yep, that seems cool, we should probably move on to something that's even cooler, which is Tim Story's 2007 movie, Fantastic Four, Rise of the Silver Surfer. We'll take a listen to a trailer for it, and then we'll be back to talk about it. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, how to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, get 20, 20, how to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. 
Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds. And they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. unusual occurrences all over the world. These were taken by one of our spy satellites three days ago. We need a way to locate and intercept that object. What is it? We were hoping you could tell us. It's here. That's bad. That's really bad. We have to destroy this thing. Your encounter with a surfer has affected your molecules. It could cause you to temporarily switch powers. You like falling? No, 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 hey! Okay, so that was the trailer for Fantastic Four, Rise of the Silver Surfer. Makes you want to go out and see it, doesn't it? <laughs> I'm going to have to say that full title every time we, we <laughs> mention it. Um, so we'll do a bit of scene setting first. Um, so obviously this came off the back of the 2005 Fantastic Four film, also by Tim Story. Different writers or one of the mm-hmm. same writers, but had had 
it wasn't the most well received it's fair to say of superhero films of its era and i think it suffered from coming out the year after spider-man 2 which had been so good but it did actually perform okay it made 330 million dollars off a 100 million dollar budget so that was enough to justify a sequel which coming only two years later does kind of seem like a bit of a rush but maybe it was a you know capture the slim bit of interest that anyone has in seeing a Fantastic Four sequel while we can. It turned out that that slim bit of interest was fairly slim and the second mm. one only made $290 million, often increased $130 million budget. That wasn't deemed enough to justify making a third film so it ended up being uh, just a two-part series. Now the first film doesn't have a great reputation but I think we found when we went back to it a couple of years ago now to do it on this podcast that actually there's a reasonable amount to enjoy in it. And, and you know, some aspects of it, particularly from a cast point of view, I think we can really enjoy. And I think it's easier these days to appreciate a film from that era that's a little bit more simplistic maybe than it was at the time when, you know, there wasn't so much... Do you know there weren't so many superhero films doing more complex and interesting things to to grasp onto? And I, well, there's the sequel. I think I'd I'd seen generally, and I I didn't see it at the time, but mm -hmm. seemed to have a better reputation than the first film. But first of all, Steve, I mean, what did you? What were your feelings on the 2005 film? Before I went we to see to it. It was a fairly early date with someone I was with for a number of years, and we were in Cheltenham and went to the old Odeon there and watched it. And the the thing I remember the most is at the point where the final battle is over, me going, wait, that was it? Because it <laughs> felt like only the first part of a fight, but it was so simplistic. They all use their powers once in unison, and then the bad guy is defeated. Yeah. Um, and yeah. <laughs> So, I mean, if it was good enough for the 2015 Fantastic Four film, it's good enough for this one. <laughs> um, and I never got around to seeing Rise of the Silver Surfer in cinemas, but I, I do remember seeing the teaser trailer at the time, which took one sequence from this film and was actually made it pretty good. <laughs> um, but yeah, th this one, we... Uh, We've done commentaries on both Tim Story movies for the Fantasticast, and we've had plenty of comments from listeners about it. And what people tend to go for is there's about half an hour of a really good Fantastic Four movie in mm -hmm. this movie, and that's about it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's the impression I got, is I was watching it going like, you know, actually, this is a lot better than I remember. And then the Silver Surfer turns up sort of properly. Actually, is when Doctor Doom wakes up. Doctor yeah. Doom sort of waltzes <laughs> into the story, and then from that point on, nothing makes any sense, and then it finishes. And you were like, oh, there was, uh, like, the first 45 minutes, there was actually a story going on there, and then it stops. Yeah, it, it's a fairly simple story, but it, it it's told competently. Yeah, like, yeah. you know, S Sue and Reed have their marriage stuff, like, Johnny's got his capitalism and shallowness and, you know, things off there being thing. Yeah, he's working through his relationship with Alicia, which would, would have been a central focus of the third film if that had been made. Yeah, and... You know, there's all these little things going on that you're like, oh, actually, everyone's got a got a thing to do. And then suddenly none of those stories have endings. I mean, it it did kind of surprise me coming out of watching this, that this is the film that's got the better reputation out of the two. <laughs> uh, because, the, I mean, you know, the first one, yeah, it's not great, but... I think, and, and you know, absolutely what you said about, you know, the way the way that it just ends um, you know, and wraps things up. I mean, this film has that problem as well. They're, they're both really short. 
But this one is, I mean, the first one's 106 minutes long, and this one is 92 minutes long, <laughs> including yeah. the credits. Uh, you know, it almost qualifies for the 90 Minutes or Less Film Festival, which I never thought I'd see a superhero film that does. Um, and that's what that's what really... So uh, that's why there are a few reasons why it surprises me that this one is the one with the better reputation. But part of it is that this one felt to me, and I don't know if anyone else got this feel, kind of like a TV movie. Ooh, it Even is. from the fact it opens with opening credits that yeah. play out over scenes of the film. And that really, that immediately, like when you have like the director's name popping up while characters are talking, it's like you're watching a TV movie. Yeah, there's no overture, there's no... Yeah. Kind of, it, it, and it, it's not even over what I'd call interesting or dramatic scenes. It's incredibly no, it's... dull domestic <laughs> stuff. You know, yeah. Reasonably good character bits, but there's nothing there that makes you go, ah, oh, Marvel superhero movie. Mm, it's, and that's the thing, it has this, this strangely low-key opening. Yeah, you would normally, I mean, you would sort of expect most of most superhero movies open with, hey, here's the superhero team doing that superhero thing. Mm. Aren't you really impressed? This one yeah. opens with, like, prep Them for on a, a wedding? <laughs> like, yeah. <laughs> wow, okay. Yeah. And, you know, it, you compared this to the Spider-Man movies, you know, they had those big grand title sequences mm. with Spider-Web and stuff. The X-Men movies had the stuff with DNA. Um, <laughs> it's, it's, well, I certainly remember that from the first X-Film. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Whereas, yeah, this just, it gets going. And it, we're not with that confidence of Iron Man, which came along a year later, which just had back in black, it kicked off, explosion, boom. Mm. And it's not interested in giving you the name of the film or who's involved until the end, which yeah. is now the standard for the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Mm. And yeah, but I, I mean, that that feeling did actually then kind of run throughout it. I think partly because just from a script point of view, and it's it's something you can generally overlook with this kind of film, but it's 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 very... The, the script and the dialogue are very soapy melodrama. And it's I think what it's, what it's really lacking is much in the way of of good lines really um, <laughs> yeah. but also for you know for a film that's got an increased budget on the first one and a, and, a, and a budget that is you know nine figures um it looks cheap it does it looks very cheap doesn't it it's sort yeah. of you can only imagine most of the money went on getting jessica Alba to come back well yeah because because i thought i thought okay you know it, it looks like they've scrimped on a lot of things in terms of like there's some really obvious green screen sequences mm -hmm. you've got the london sequence which they must have chucked some money at but otherwise my thought was oh they're going to have spent all the money on getting the silver surfer to look right <laughs> nope <laughs> Um, so yeah, I don't, I don't know where else that went. <laughs> yeah, I mean, those effects haven't aged, but I think at the time they were, they would have looked much better than we now see them as. I guess so. I mean, it's, it's always, the, it's always the thing with CGI is that it is, it's generally the thing that dates worse. And, and you know, in the in the year that a film comes out, you'll generally go, oh wow, that CG looks really good, and then you're watching it a few years later, and it. Yeah, it does look kind of video gamey. The sir, I mean, we'll we'll come to the surfer in a bit more detail. The thing about him in this is that you've kind of got two versions, and there's one version that succeeds a lot better than the other, I think, visually. Unfortunately, it is the one that spends more time in the film, which is the kind of depowered down version. Um, I think that version does look better because it's less reliant on shiny CGI. But you know, other than the kind of movement of things. I mean, yeah. Look, let's let's talk about the Silver Surfer now because that's what this film is purportedly well, on, I, about. Just, just quickly, <laughs> my my take on this film is that the things that it does well, it does better than the original, but the things that are bad are much worse. I think that's fair. Yeah, I think that's maybe why some people like it is that 
there's some really good stuff in there, particularly the sort of inter-character drama mm. between the Fantastic Four. Mm. Like the the first 45 minutes, you're like, this is a really good Fantastic Four movie, like with some cheesy dialogue and action. Yeah. It's the second half that that lets it down. There's one scene in particular from these early bits, which on my rewatch, I've not seen this film for about four or five years. Um, and it really surprised me. I was really kind of oh this is a actually really good moment it's it's johnny and alicia uh, just before the wedding where alicia kind of digs into johnny a bit for constantly having a go at ben mm-hmm. and but there's something about the way those two interact and the insight she has that i just thought oh this is they actually gave Kerry washington something to do rather than sit on a stool uh, which was <laughs> the entirety of her role in the first movie and she just she runs with that and gets this really great scene with chris evans mm-hmm. it's i mean we we definitely said about the first film um that the strongest aspects were, I mean, in general, kind of cast of book, but like specifically, uh, you know, Chris Evans and Michael Chiklis do really great work with these characters. And mm-hmm. these are, they are both good, recognizable versions of those characters from the comics. And that absolutely carries through to this film. It is, I, I, I think it is definitely basically at its best, other than the fact that the altered makeup for. The thing is one of the things that looks cheaper than the first film. Uh, I understand he had kind of it, it, they did a bit of a Crichton with him and gave it this time around they gave him prosthetics where he was able to take them off more easily and move around more comfortably. The problem is if you do that, it generally means that they don't look as good and particularly around the mouth and stuff, it doesn't look as good this time. It looks more rubbery. But that aside, like like Chicklis and Evans are great, and whenever those two are interacting. This, this, it, it. I think is when this film is doing its best work, just as the first one was. I do also, again, I think I said this about the first one that I do actually think Owen Griffith is a good Reed Richards, and I think he's better in this one than he is in the first one. He's still very stiff for a character defined by his lack of stiffness. <laughs> <laughs> but isn't isn't that isn't isn't that that that's Reed though, isn't it? That's the kind of that's you know, the character's tension, right? Is, he's yeah. he's stretchy, yeah, but no, it's not. <laughs> I I've I've heard previously, and I struggled to find some citation for this, but I'd heard that part of the problem with the performance is that he could only do the American accent phonetically, so he had to stick to the script. There couldn't be any playing around because he'd lose yeah. the accent. And I think if you go looking for that, you can see it. Mm. And you've got Chris Evans, who I, I get the feeling wants to be a bit looser with it and really just get things going, and, and Griffith can't. Mm. But I do I do think he gets to loosen up a bit more in this. And, and Oh, yeah, he gets you know. to dance. <laughs> God, he gets to dance. <laughs> but let's, let's do Silver Surfer while let's, we're Okay, we'll, we'll do the, the Silver Surfer, yeah. Well, it's, you know, I mean, it's... I, I mean, again, kind of something that surprised me, really, is that for something that the film is so heavily purportedly about that he gets into the title... And this film is the rise of the Silver Surfer. <laughs> it's the rise and fall of the Silver yeah, Surfer. Yeah, the, the very rapid and rise and fall. I mean, so okay, so let's start. Let's talk about the Silver Surfer outside of this film. Oof. Why is the Silver Surfer such a big deal? He's a philosopher. <laughs> I mean, he what he does is he melds the... The surprising and inventive mind of Jack Kirby with the uh, poetic dialogue of Stan Lee. Yeah, uh, for a character that Stan Lee had no hand in creating, he then became Stan Lee's pet character for like a decade or so. Because the the story behind the Galactus trilogy is 
Stanley said, oh, let's have the Fantastic Four face God. Kirby comes back with Galactus, but then the Silver Surfer is all over the first issue. This is a surprise to Stan. But when the Silver Surfer gets his own book about three years later, Jack Kirby's not allowed anywhere near it until the very final issue. It's one of the things that led him to go to DC. And the Surfer changed. He became this very almost inert character who would stand around and think and ponder on the human condition rather than, you know, get on his cool surfboard and surf around the place. (laughs) I mean, the thing that I like most about the Silver Surfer is that he's his name is Norrin Rad. Like he's rad and he's got a surfboard. <laughs> oh, the joke about his surfboard from Dan Slot Silver Surfer run is superb. The the companion, because it's basically Doctor Who with the mm. serial numbers filed off, the companion keeps calling the board to me. And eventually <laughs> Silver Surfer goes, Why are you calling it to me? He said, Well, you always say that. To me, my board. And what he says is, To me, my board. <laughs> I was really disappointed that in this film he doesn't say to me, my yeah. board. I mean, he doesn't say a lot in this film, does he? Yeah. <laughs> And I can't think of his board as being called anything but to me now. Well, Patrick Stewart's never said <laughs> Patrick Stewart's never said to me, my X-Men, so no. yeah. to me, my X-Men. Um <laughs> which just... one of the X-Men is to me? Um No, it's just introductions. To me, my X-Men. My X-Men this is to me. <laughs> um so yeah, I mean the, the the thing about the Silver Surfer is that he, you know, he has this quite storied history in comics, and I think he, you know, he's a he's a very iconic character because he's so I mean, there's nothing else like him. So yeah, you know, <laughs> maybe the in... the racer, the black uh, racer, the, the black, black racer. racer yeah. <laughs> so the silver surfer is a silver dude on the surfboard. Well, the black racer, he's a black dude on skis, <laughs> and he's <laughs> deaf. Entirely different. Yeah, yeah. I, oh god, I first came across him in my, our worlds at war, and I was just like, "Who the fuck is this guy? Why is he speaking poetry? <laughs> and why is he just dragging steel behind him as he floats out the story?" I mean, the thing I, the reason I know that character is because I read the Amalgam comics where they merged the two into the Silver (laughs) Racer. Oh, a side note, the best Amalgam comic was the one that was never published. It was pitched. It was um, combining Jarvis and Alfred to make the giant-sized manservant. (laughs) (laughs) Amazing. I should have done that. Um, So, yeah, I mean, I think, you know, it's quite it was quite a big deal to kind of do the Silver Surfer on film. And he's like, Mm. he's an irresistible visual and he's an interesting character to play with because he's this character who comes to Earth as the apparently willing herald of something that is going to destroy the Earth. um, And then obviously kind of but takes on this sort of you know noble air and this sort of this conflict of you know his work for galactus and the and the kind of connection that he he feels to humanity and, and he's got and, he's got the like central tragedy that makes him a sort of perfect protagonist which is that he's got yeah. limitless power but he can't do the one thing he wants to which is return to the woman he loved mm. like there it's his origin story is as brilliant an origin story as any character could have and there's a good reason that, that he's persisted in his own series repeatedly across you know decades Mm. that you can't you can only imagine they were planning to spin him out of this into his own movie had they landed it correctly which they did not oh they were absolutely planning to do that yeah well so yes so all of that said we get him in this movie and he is a silver guy who turns up and flies around a bit and falls in love with sue storm yeah based on absolute well 
there's that bit where where they, they um, share a scene together. I mean, bearing in mind Jessica Alba's performance in this film, it could be absolutely anything that happens. <laughs> there's that um, there's that bit where Johnny says like, "Oh, maybe you just thought you're hot," and then later it is revealed that he did in <laughs> fact just think she was hot because yeah. he's like, "Oh yeah, you remind me of my girlfriend." Yeah. Like, <laughs> oh, I mean, okay. There's basically three people portraying um, the Silver Surfer in this. You've got Doug mm. Jones doing the physical performance. Uh, Lawrence Fishburne does the voice, because this is the point of Doug Jones's career where he's not allowed to speak on camera. <laughs> um, thank God that changed. Yeah. But you've then, uh, I don't know if you knew this, but Terry Notary did all the motion capture. <laughs> so Terry Notary, who was one of the Thanos' legions in the Infinity films. And one of the apes mm. in Planet of the Apes. Yeah. Yeah. Cobra, um, but Cobra, yeah, that was it. He was a, a nice surprise to see that. So there's sort of three people contributing to this performance. It doesn't sound much like Lawrence Fishburne, does it? No. no I, I wondered if they'd actually merged his voice with Doug Jones's, actually. Mm. I think that that choice of voice, and I, it, it was, again, it was, I'd completely forgotten that it was Lawrence Fishburne. We've, we've had a lot of Lawrence Fishburne recently on this yeah. podcast. <laughs> um, I think that choice is a misstep for kind of for two reasons. One is that. I just don't think there's any good reason to to dub over the voice. There's nothing wrong with Doug Jones's voice, and it, it just creates a jarring effect whenever he's speaking because it's it's you know it's really difficult to sync up an actor's mouth with a different actor's yeah. voice. It's it's just a really hard thing to do. I mean, according to Wikipedia, two months before the film was released, they hadn't hired Lauren Fishburne and didn't even know if the surfer was going to speak. I mean, yeah, that's... Oof. Well, there you go. That tells you a lot about yeah. what we end up with. But I also don't think Fishburne is a very good choice. I don't think he's the right kind of voice for the Silver Surfer. I think he's too kind of somber and authoritative. Mm. You know, he's got that very... I mean, you know, uh, he's absolutely 100% the perfect voice to have played Morpheus in The Matrix. He's he's that voice on the end of that phone line. But I would have always pictured the Silver Surfer as having a, a softer and kind of gentler voice. I mean, what I want from a Silver Surfer voice is angst. Like, mm. I want to feel, feel his pain. Yeah. That's the 60s one, railing at the fact that he can't leave the earth, railing at the fact that he can't get back to Shalabal, railing at <laughs> Mephisto in all this glorious Stan Lee melodramatic dialogue. I mean, mm. it would be far too much to have on screen, but there needs to be a bit more to him. I mean, there's no emotion, is there? No, when he talks about his planet and why he's doing this, he might as well be reading lines off an autocue, mm. which I kind of think he is, given how they portray yeah. that scene. <laughs> Because um, that, that's the hilariously piss-poor Teletubby scene where exposition needs to be given. Oh, so the Silver God. Surfer turns his tummy into a telly so we can <laughs> see the same effects from the prologue to the film. Lovingly rendered on his abs. Yeah. <laughs> that, that is the worst moment in the film for me because it's it's such a cheap moment of, oh, shit, we never worked this one out. Yeah. But mm. my kids have been watching this amazing thing on TV. <laughs> it's um, Silver Surfer say, uh-oh, uh-oh. <laughs> my God, have, have Toya as the voice of the Silver Surfer. <laughs> so it's, 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 it is kind of disappointing that what's meant to be the really big thing about this film just doesn't work, does it? Because there's, and there's no... There's no conflict there. I mean, it's like he taught, you know, he gives us that bit of exposition about how the reason why he serves Galactus is basically Galactus will destroy his planet and those he loves if he doesn't. But then, based on very little, he decides that he can destroy Galactus by sacrificing himself. 
and like he he decides to do this basically because he fancies Sue Storm. And I just what what I'm left with is wondering why is it you know if you're if you're really conflicted by having to be responsible for all of these worlds that get destroyed because it's your only choice if you've had this in your locker yeah, all this why, time why, if you've why, known you've had the ability to sacrifice yourself and destroy Galactus why didn't you do it straight away yeah I mean the, the quickness of his turnaround is very comics accurate because in the comics he falls through mm. a skylight rests on the sofa and then turns against Galactus <laughs> that's basically what it is but yeah this this is one thing that really needs to be developed for the film the what does it mean to him to turn against Galactus? What are the risks? Like like I was saying, the origin of the Silver Surfer is such a perfect story. Why would you not show that happening? Like, pre-credit scene, Silver Surfer giving up his love, becoming the Silver Surfer, leaving his planet forever, illustrate the tragedy, show, don't tell. Like, it's basic stuff. Having said lots about bits of him that don't work, can we talk about, for me, the one bit that does work, which is his introduction Yes. Which was so good. They made that the teaser trailer, Um, (laughs) which is you see his effects throughout the first half hour of the film. Then at the wedding, he's sighted and he's he's homing in on the wedding because Reed's made some tech and he wants to stop it from working. But then Johnny gives chase. And for about a minute, the (laughs) film is as good as it gets. And which it. It's actually really good in that minute. As they race across New York, He the, his reveal as he comes out of the side of the Chrysler building in a perfect Kirby Silver Surfer pose, just slowly lifting his head mm-hmm. up. Johnny's reaction then, he's like, that's so cool. And I was like, it yeah. is. You're it right. It is. And then they have the great chase through the tunnel, which is about as visually inventive as the film gets, but it gets the camera moving. It It has some good ideas of what it wants to do to make an exciting scene. And it ends, uh, the teaser trailer ended with the surfer grabbing Johnny by the neck and just letting Stopping him go in, in the atmosphere. Yeah, yeah. Well, fortunately, the film continues to a lame comedy bit with a camel. But that, that <laughs> chase scene is genuinely great. I was really impressed re-watching it this time. Just like, shit, they, they got this. If only they could have got everything else. The thing I like is that it's like any superhero sequence in the Marvel Universe taking place in New York immediately pushes my buttons because that's the marvel universe to me is like Mm. superheroes in new york it's where most of them are yeah i'm not sure how they flew that quickly to washington from new york yeah (laughs) because they literally fly out the tunnel then past the the washington monument they break the washington monument and nothing's done about it yeah then they're in space and then he's getting stared at in the face by a camel and you're like okay you lost it but the escalation of that uh, and just that, that image of the surfer coming through the Chrysler building, that, that's the moment the film is working at its absolute best. And I don't, I don't mean that in terms of saying, oh, well, it's as good as it gets for the film. It's actually really good. Yeah, it stands up alongside any superhero sequence we've seen. Like, it could fit, could slot in an Avengers movie pretty well. Mm. Like, the thing, the thing I like is that when they're, they're at the wedding and as soon as the crisis is ready, like, Reed shouts and he's like, Johnny, and Johnny's already going and he's like, I'm on yeah. it. Because you're like, that's a Fantastic Four. Like, they're working in unison. They don't even need to talk to each other because they just know. And there's two versions of Johnny's that line there. In the teaser trailer, it's just, oh, I just bought this tux. Burns it off. <laughs> in the film, it's... he. Uh, I can't remember which brand it is. but it's Prada, is it? Dolce. Dolce, that's it, yeah. Dolce. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, he, Evans nails that little moment as well. Evans, like, his comedy is really good in this movie. It, I guess yeah. it's because he's got a little bit, sort of, a little bit more license to be funny. He has some really good lines. Like, a lot of the dialogue in this film is really cheesy, but I think most of Johnny's jokes work. 
Like, I love yeah. that thing where he turns up with the brands and um, <laughs> he's like, what have you got against capitalism? Well, I mean, I was I was delighted to see him walk in uh, carrying what is essentially Captain Amazing's costume <laughs> um, after talking on our Mystery Men episode about how if you were making Mystery Men now, Chris Evans would be absolutely perfect. <laughs> um, and then literally he's got a costume that is... I mean, and that is such an incredibly Johnny Storm thing to have a, a superhero costume that looks like a racing driver's yeah. uh, sponsored outfit. Yeah. I love the callback later as well when they have the fantastic hour and he's like, branding? And Reed's like, yeah, branding. Yeah. <laughs> I, I do wish, because they took lots from Warren Ellis's Ultimate Marvel stuff for this. Oh, I, I wish yeah. they could have taken the running joke from his Ultimate Fantastic Four, where Reed names the Fantastic Car, Johnny and Ben yeah. piss themselves with laughter, and then spend the next two issues just making jokes about piss poor names with Fantastic in them. Um, <laughs> Where's the Fantastic Car? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I thought you were going to say as well um, from that the uh, one of the absolute <laughs> the greatest jokes reviews. in that series. I know what you're going to yeah, yeah. You, you know what I'm saying, yeah. James, don't you? Yeah. Uh, where Reed agrees that Johnny, Johnny can name exactly the space what I was shuttle. About to say, yes. <laughs> and then on the next page, massive splash with the word "awesome" written on yeah. the side. <laughs> Um, I mean, actually, yeah. That, I think I think a, a, there were there were there were little bits like that where I was like. Uh, I, it, there was a feeling of some of the character stuff having been drawn a little bit from the Ultimate version, even though the characters are older. I mean, the major thing that comes from the Ultimate version, which we'll talk about for, you know, a short while, for about as long as the film spends on it. But no, it's just, I mean, you're, you're right. I mean, it's a, those character interactions, maybe with the exception of Sue, because I think she's still incredibly poorly served by yeah. the script. and. She, Jessica Alba is not great, but I kind of don't blame her for not being great because if you were handed that script, yeah. would you really have put a lot of effort into it? I mean, sort of the problem is that they've they've tried to make Sue Storm more like a sort of trad Jessica Alba character. Which isn't her. <laughs> yeah. Mm. I mean, she looks younger than Chris Evans. Yeah, I mean, that's that's weird. Like, I don't buy the chemistry between her and Reed either, and it's like... No, I mean, they have not. Yeah, exactly. Like, it, they spend so much time talking about how she's hot, and it's like, come on, mm. give mm. us some actual personality. And, like... She almost quit acting as a result of this film. Unsurprisingly, because she didn't have any to do in this one. Well, what she had to do was get naked, as if it was contractual. Ugh. It was a bad enough moment in the first film, but to then go to it again in the second yeah. film... To go to it in the second, in, to go to it again, and then have her have a line about it yeah, happening to yeah. her again, and it's like you knew. I, I could tell the moment that she burst into flame exactly what was going to happen and how yeah. that scene was going to end. And sure yeah. enough, I mean, at least she didn't have to have the indignity of actually stripping off on the film in a green screen suit. Mm. Um, but it was still, it's just, it's horrible, and no one's just like, oh, everyone's just like, hey, just because Alba's ass. We're going to see the front as well. And Reese's like, you naked woman, cover yourself up like it's her fault. Yeah. It, it's horrible. It's and, a really bad moment, isn't it? And and for the rest of the film, she, if you'll excuse the pun, she's basically invisible. Um, she, she doesn't have any impact mm. when she's on screen. When she's not on screen, you forget all about her. The case in point being the finale when she's dead. And the moment the camera's not on her, you forget that she's dead. It's a, it's a, it's a really weird moment that when you're supposed to, it, like, does the film really think we're buying that it's possibly killing her off? You just have that brief moment where you think, 
oh my god, it's you know she's, she's been speared through. That's that's terrible. And then they spend the rest of the scene acting like it's not that mm. bad. And then yeah, she just her eyes roll back in her head and she's gone. Yeah. And you're like, oh okay, are we doing that then? And like. Reed's reaction is kind of so muted. Yeah. Johnny doesn't care that his sister's just yeah. died. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, like, well, I mean, he, he cares. And then what's really weird is when they've, when Galactus has been defeated by, not by them, but by the Silver Surfer, and he comes back down and he's celebrating with uh, uh, Ben the fact that his powers are back to normal. And then he sees Sue and he's happy that she's alive but we haven't we've just seen him celebrating at a time when he still thinks she's dead so why is he happy at that point before like he's happy anyway and then he finds out <laughs> his sister's still alive so he's happy he's like wow yeah. two wins in one day yeah <laughs> it's just i mean I, I i everything kind of from the point well actually, i mean as you said before it's pretty much everything from the point where doom walks in but certainly everything from the point when they go to that military yeah. base, the film just falls apart. It's like, it's really late in the film and they haven't kind of start like they start their big third act about 20 minutes before the end of the film. Sorry, third act. <laughs> I mean, that's the second act, right? <laughs> yeah. The first act is everything up to the end of the wedding stuff. The second act is through to the credits. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> well, what, now what, you, what you've got is you've got a first act that doesn't have a big set piece in it. Then you've got a second act, which is the big set piece in London, and that's the entire second act. And then you've got the third act. It, it's weird, that London stuff. I mean, every time I see it, mm. I'm just like, sure, Brits are okay with the US military just landing in the middle of London and pulling out their guns and stuff. Mm. Yeah, it, it feels weird. But there, there's a weird geographical journey that goes on. So after New York, the film just keeps moving west. We go to London. Then for no reason at all, they go to Siberia. Like, I have no idea why they go to Siberia at all. Uh, it's never explained. They mm. lure the Silver Surfer there. Don't they briefly say, like, they're gonna, he's going to set up some holes in each of these locations so that Galactus can eat the planet, and we know he's going to these places next or something? Right. Like, it's really MacGuffin-y and totally without yeah. any logic to it. And then it's off to Japan, where they stay for the rest of the film and indulge in some really awful cosplay at the oh, end. Oh, God. Oh, oh God. God, the yeah. cultural appropriation of the wedding. Uh, we're, we're jumping uh, yeah, all over the, the place, but let's, yeah. Let's take <laughs> the the most iconic superhero wedding in comic book history, and in this film, it is turned into... <laughs> yeah, so it, it's really weird, because first of all, the guy that plays the priest is a future Marvel writer, which is Brian Pazane, who did a yes. number of years on Deadpool with Jerry Duggan, a number <laughs> of very good years as well, which is not often you get to say that about Deadpool comics, because Daniel Way keeps popping up. Um <laughs> You, you you may have you may have missed this on Twitter last night where uh, I uh, tweeted about this very fact because I saw Brian Posehn and I was like, wow, this must be one of the few times where somebody has both appeared in a Marvel film as an actor in an actual yeah. credited part or in a speaking part and also written Marvel comics. So initially I was like, well, there's Stan Lee and I can think of two others and they were Brian Posehn and mm. Kevin Smith in Daredevil. By the time Twitter had finished, I think we'd got to yeah. about I eight think, or Isn't nine. he the first who was... An actor first, though. It, well, he's a comedian more, rather than an actor. But I yeah. mean, he's acting in yeah. this film. Well, yeah. uh, I don't think he's very good in this film. Um, yeah, and then, yeah, he just turns up at the end, but it, where they're getting married in a Japanese garden, and then there's this Christian minister there who's just been flown around the world. Yeah. Uh, oh, yeah, it's weird. The one thing I do, can, can I talk about a certain guest at the wedding at this moment, just to mention something? Yeah. 
So Stan Lee mm-hmm. turns up in the co- in the at the wedding and is rejected. It is the most comics accurate Stan Lee cameo in all of his cameos because that's yep. literally what he and Jack Kirby <laughs> do at the end of Fantastic Four Annual Number Three. Mm-hmm. The last panel is them being turned away and not allowed to go to the wedding. <laughs> it is absolutely up there as one of the best Stan Lee cameos, I think, because it's he's mentioned by name as being Stan Lee, and as you say. It is actually a direct reference to the wedding. Yep. It, it really is. It, there's a big smile on the face for that one. And it's a good joke as well. Um, so, some of his jokey mm. cameos haven't always worked, but this one <laughs> lands. It really does, yeah. I also don't feel it was totally accidental that at that point, the guy standing behind him waiting to get in like kind of looks a little bit like a, a Jack Kirby-ish mm. type. Like he looks like a kind of like kind of rugged New Yorker <laughs> sort of type. So I may, I may just be reading into that, but it didn't. But the, the final thing. wedding scene is just, it's horrible. It's it's abysmal. And the fact that this is, that's how your yeah. franchise ends with this awful, awful scene. <laughs> I mean, in fairness, the 2015 uh, Fantastic Four franchise ends with a much worse scene. <laughs> like Wait, at least it has again? some kind of resolu- resolution. Oh God. <laughs> I can still hear your derisive laughter at that moment. <laughs> I mean, it wasn't just me laughing. The thing that was... Uh, no, no, but you were right next to me. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, uh, yeah, uh, anyway. Um. <laughs> so the film, as, as as we've agreed and discussed, kind of goes to shit when Doctor Doom turns oh. up. Yep. Why does Doctor Doom turn up? <laughs> and how is this Doctor Doom? There is a very classic Fantastic Four story where Doom lures the Silver Surfer to Latveria, steals his power, then starts terrorising the world. And it it is one of the best Fantastic Four stories. So I understand the desire to go, well, we've got this guy under contract and we got the Silver Surfer. This also gives the Fantastic Four someone to punch because they can't go punch the giant cloud. (laughs) We'll get Mm. to that one as well. I mean, there is Mm. a... There is undeniably a fantastic visual and a something that everyone would absolutely want to see in Doctor Doom on the Silver Surfer's board. The problem is that this film manages to do that and actually make it something that yeah. you don't want to see because yeah. it's really I mean, bad. Do you want to go for a spin? Why, why does Doom... Uh, this, this version of Doom is so off the mark. Oh, it's awful. So far. I like when he's being victor i think julian mcmahon is a good smarmy victor if you you know if you're going by the victor who was good looking you know before the accident and is you know kind of full of himself i i do like what he's doing with the role there the problem is that yeah when he's being dr doom he's just not dr doom he's just that guy shouting really colloquially and it's like how do you put dr doom in your film and just not want to have him talk anything like Doctor Doom. The bit where he turns up and he's like, oh, you jerks, and you're like, in what planet does Doctor Doom call anyone a jerk? Come on. (laughs) It's even down to the fact that he keeps calling Reed Reed. Yeah, instead of Richards. Richards. He should be calling him Richards. (laughs) And and then little things like not putting any processing on the voice when he's in the mask to Mm -hmm. actually give him some element Mm. of gravitas. And whilst he makes a good smarmy Victor, I, I don't think he's really good at anything but you know my preference is still for the toby kebble version of victor <laughs> i'm I'm sorry but it is you know the, the bit where he manipulates reed into doing the 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 journey to whatever dimension it was i forget the details but that's such a great scene because he's really playing on reed and here it's victor turns up and goes yeah i'm better <laughs> than you yeah mm. why you that that's the depth of it I mean, that's the thing, isn't it? Like, this this version of Victor doesn't have any personality or 
motivation mm. or delivery. Like, there's just nothing that works about the character in any way. Like, the visuals don't work. The acting doesn't work. The writing doesn't work. Like, who is this guy and why do we care? Yeah. Mm. And why does he lose the... I mean, I know why he loses the scarring the and stuff, energy, because that's yeah. because of the surfer. But why has he already lost his armor by that why is he taking his armor off at that point and why does he put I mean, why it is, on did later? he have it in the first place because in the film yeah. in the original film he barely gets in it and then it's like they just they wanted to try and do the doctor doom visual without doing any of the stuff that goes with it it just feels like it should be really really easy to do doctor doom you've just got to put someone with a big deep booming voice in that costume and give him melodramatic dialogue that's fun to write. Yeah, and it's not like this film is low on melodrama either. Like, yeah, there's plenty in there. It's just, <laughs> yeah. uh. and instead, I mean, what what he reminded me of more than anything was the worst bits of when Willem Dafoe is in the Goblin yeah. costume in the first Spider-Man. I uh, see Eddie Eddie Brock is where I went to in Spider-Man Three. Like, just that kind of guy. Yeah, <laughs> but you've just got this guy shouting normally, as you say, with no voice processing through. Uh, a fixed mask while he's flying around and it's just yeah it's it's not right yeah i mean mcmahon's just terrible i i can't watch him in anything because i'm i i get angry about <laughs> his, his performance here because you can even do dr doom poorly but make him doom to it always takes skill to do him this badly and this unrecognizably as doom right like if he wasn't called dr doom you would barely recognize it was the character yeah. Like, like Josh Trank wouldn't let his cast read Fantastic Four comics and they were still better Doom than this guy was. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I mean, while we're talking as well about villains who they've completely botched, I mean, there's another one they've completely botched in this film, like two for the price of one. Well, yeah, let's Galactus. let's get on to... If you, if you can yeah. call him that. No, it... If you can call it that. It, it is officially Garlactus because that's how it's written in the novelization. Okay. And that comes from the Warren Ellis comment, doesn't yeah, it? Yeah, the ultimate Galactus, yeah. Uh, can I throw a quick trivia question at you? Please. Go on. Uh, what what colour was what colours was Galactus's uh, armour in his first appearance? First appearance? Oh, interesting. I mean, you would assume purple and blue, right? But It's, it's obviously not purple then, is it? <laughs> no, it, it was fully red. Okay. Um, mm. For one panel only, the end of Fantastic Four 48, he... It, it, Red with a massive G on his chest. Yes. In case anyone was unclear. And then they, they sorted that for the next issue. But yeah. Um, <laughs> Galactus is anywhere between about 20 foot tall and sort of several solar systems high. And he's, he's a dude with a very recognisable helmet. And, and his wonderful hollow square pupils in his eyes. And yes, a skirt where you've got to be careful where you're putting your camera. Um, <laughs> yeah. And, and he, he was created as God. For the Fantastic Four to fight, he's completely another. There's no moral side to him. He's not evil. He's just doing what he needs to do yeah. to survive. He hungers. Yeah. So he goes he and eats. Yeah. My journey is ended. Uh, this planet shall sustain me until it has been drained of all elemental life. So speaks Galactus. Was how he was introduced. And like, he's great. He's easily one of the best characters in you know an already very good comic. And then you have this version. Which is a giant cloud. Yeah. Which does come from the Warren Ellis reinvention of Galactus for the ultimate um, 
Is it called the Ultimate Galactus Trilogy? Because there was Ultimate Nightmare, Ultimate Secret, then Ultimate, oh God, it's still going. Yeah. Ultimate Extinction um, was the last one, wasn't it? Extinction, yeah. yeah. I think they do just call it the Ultimate Galactus Trilogy. Yeah. yeah. But that, that was at least a giant space cloud made up of a whole bunch of robotic drones, which would have been good for, say, the thing to hit. Yeah. Or Sue to bat around with her shields. They had the sort of basic shape of Galactus's helmet as well. Like, they at least yeah. suggested Galactus. Yeah. This, you get a very sort of, yeah, you get like half a second of the shape. When when Silver Surfer flies into the centre of the cloud. And that was only done because Weta complained so much. They said, well, we, you've got to do this. You've got to put some reference to the fact oh, that there's God. possibly Galactus in the middle of it, which is why you see the vague shape of his helmet with those prongs by the side of it. Yeah. At the very end of it, before he, he just sort of shrinks to I nothing. I mean, then. you know you're in trouble when your special effects team are going like, you realise you've fucked this up, right? <laughs> Mm. Um, yeah I mean yes it sort of simplifies it and it gets around the thing of just how do we do a 40 foot tall guy in a purple skirt but you do it by making it work yeah, yeah. I mean I, I have no doubt that when the MCU does Galactus and they will they're going to give us Galactus right they're not going to give us an imitation cloud Galactus we're going to see a purple guy in a skirt having said that I genuinely thought we were going to get a planet with a beard and what we got was Kurt Russell talking about his dick. <laughs> so, maybe, but yeah, give us real Galactus, please. But yeah, it, so disappointing. Yeah. And anticlimactic as well. The Fantastic Four, once they've taken out Doom, um, that there's nothing for them to do except watch. Well, that's, and that seems to be the only reason why Doom is there is they need something to defeat that has an impact on the overall plot. So what yeah. happens is Doom steals the board so that the Surfer can't defeat Galactus. So what the Fantastic Four do is they assist the defeat, effectively, by defeating Doom to give the Silver Surfer his board back so that he can go and defeat Galactus. The, the, the Fantastic Four do literally do not interact with Galactus in any way, shape, or form. Yeah, in this I actually, film. I really like that sequence of um, Johnny getting all the powers and using them to fight Doctor Doom. Like, it's the closest we'll get to the Super Scroll ever. Yeah, because it's using all those <laughs> images, and it's it's not bad. The effects could be better on it. Yeah, but it it works as that kind of escalation point. It's a little. I mean, yeah, I I like it as as a scene in its own right, but I don't think it's the film doesn't, other than this this kind of slight running thing that it's had about Johnny and responsibility, and Johnny just being all about the commercialism, and Johnny having those arguments with that soldier who we'll, we'll come to in a bit, <laughs> uh, to talk about who she is. Um, but, so I can sort of see that that is a payoff to it's Johnny getting a hero moment. But I think Johnny has, kind of, it's not like he hasn't had hero moments up to that point. And what it takes away is we don't get a final scene or even a, a, any kind of big climactic scene apart from that London Eye sequence where the FF are together as a team yeah. using their powers together in order to win. What happens is Johnny is using their powers together as a team on his own to defeat Doom. And, you know, in the final act of the film, like, like Ben at one point climbs a ladder in human form to swing a girder <laughs> Um, Reed cries over Sue having been stabbed. Sue gets stabbed, stopping the Silver Surfer from being stabbed. That is their contribution. And Johnny beats up Doctor Doom and knocks him off the surfboard. I mean, the logical ending of that fight sequence is that Johnny dies, right? Because that's the yeah. whole film has been 
doing this stuff with Johnny where he's like, oh, he's a shirker. He puts everyone else in danger, doesn't sacrifice mm. stuff for himself. Like he's only interested in the brands. He's superficial. Give him that hero moment and kill him. And then let the bring him back. Yeah. You might have cared if that had happened. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, for example. Um, but I mean, instead, the film has decided that, that it's that it's got this plot arc for Johnny that kind of almost entirely happens off screen, except for like two conversations. Like, I can only assume that there are a lot of conversations between Johnny and Frankie Ray that we don't actually see because like, when we literally first see them interact, it's like they're at, you know, the third or fourth stage of this ongoing snipey back and forth tension relationship. But Frankie Ray is actually a character from the comics, isn't she? Yeah. She is someone who's introduced as a potential girlfriend for Johnny, except that she doesn't get on with his superhero stuff because it involves him bursting into flame and she's has an issue with that. <laughs> yeah, understandably, and, she's not wild about things setting on fire. Well, the reason for that is it because uh, she turned up in like the late 70s, then was ignored for about three or four years. Then John Byrne brought her back and it was revealed that she's connected to Professor Horton, who was the creator of the original Human Torch. Wow. So there's actually a bit more going on there, except that the, she then becomes a Human Torch style character who is also Herald of Galactus. I really love Nova. Yeah, so she, she's Nova, but not a Nova Nova. Yeah. yeah. The first ever <laughs> Fantastic Four story I read was um, The Trial of Galactus as a graphic mm. novel, which is like, it's kind of several issues of Fantastic Four that have been cut up over the course of a couple of years even. Yeah. It's a bunch of issues that have been cut up to resemble a graphic novel, and I love it. I love it so much. Mm. And she's in that. Yeah, so she, she's a bit more of an important character that she doesn't have a military background as it is here. <laughs> and she, the actress has talked about how she wanted more development in the sequel, but then everyone who's in a superhero film wants more development in the sequel. <laughs> yeah, but she's the aide to the other major guest actor in this film, which is Captain Holt. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> Captain Holt from uh, on, Andre Brower, who walked away from ER to be in this film... Good choice, man. And purportedly, yep. his role was actually supposed to be Nick, Nick Fury. Fury. Yeah. So would this film have seen Nick Fury get killed off? Mm. <laughs> um, but yeah, they could. They would have had to buy the rights to Nick Fury. So, yeah. Um, <laughs> I mean that that death is very like. Oh, okay. I guess that you're going to kill the black guy first. Fair enough. <laughs> well, also, you have a moment of oh, in both this film and the 2015 film, the first thing Doctor Doom does when he enters the <laughs> is kill yeah. the senior black guy. <laughs> oh, it's oh, not a good look, is it? Oh, poor Those Reg Katie. Avenge me, my son. <laughs> I, even that's more imaginative than what Reg Katie had to say, but still, yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, but Broward does actually get to say some Warren Ellis lines. Oh, does he? Yes. Well, actually, no. He doesn't. He gets to listen to Warren Ellis' line. Sorry, okay. the bit where Reed has a go at him about, yeah, well, you might have been the quarterback, and I was the nerd, but now the quarterback's asking the nerd. Um, was <laughs> from Warren Ellis's Ultimate Galactus stuff. But what really annoys me is he goes at the very end. He says, "You're going to treat me and my friends with more respect." I'm just screaming the word mm. "family." The Fantastic yes, Four are yeah. family. The the whole that was USP. the perfect opportunity for him to say "me and my family," yeah. mm-hmm. and he says "me and my friends." Because <laughs> maybe I should mention this is one of the reasons why I love the Fantastic Four. They are a family unit. Other teams are put together by who's available. Uh, government say you've got to do this. Um, it's a case, you know. Every two years, Marvel put all their X-Men into a hat and pull them out and go, right, you're X-Men Red and you're X-Men Blue. 
Um, these are a family, and they're a family <laughs> unit before they're heroes. They stay as a family unit. They develop as a family unit. Put that in the damn film. Yeah. Yeah, and it's and it's true that you know you can't you know you can only be in the Fantastic Four if you're a part of that family. You can't just decide to be a member of the Fantastic Four. There's never been any other members of the Fantastic Four apart from those four characters. Is this irony? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Just checking. <laughs> <laughs> they did rather dilute the concept. Yeah, a little bit. A little bit. Members didn't they? But I mean, yes. But I mean, the first time they did it was Crystal, who was Johnny's girlfriend, and then. Crystal nominated Medusa, then they hired Luke Cage. Uh, yeah, that that doesn't work so well. But it was only three issues, and he was controlled by the Puppet Master. Spoilers for a forty-five-year-old <laughs> comic. Um, yeah, but you know, people like She-Hulk, who arguably developed most when they, she didn't have her own book, have a family, a position within that extended family. She mm-hmm. isn't just a friend or a colleague; she is part yeah. of that family. So. Yeah, I know. I'm just being glib. <laughs> yeah i mean the the thing that i find interesting about that um that reed rent is a i thought i was when i was watching it, i was like this is weirdly mean for that version of the character it's because warren ellis lines so fair enough <laughs> um also wasn't reed he did play high school football right i'm not imagining that in the no, comics no, ben ben was the football guy reed would it was the nerd and the jock who became friends okay okay yeah oh no they ben were both in the, the army player. weren't they that's what i was thinking yeah, in World yeah, War Two. Because okay. I remember thinking like there's a there's a bit of Reed that is like weirdly jock like and but yeah, it's because I'm remembering he was in the army. Yeah. Back when back when you were forced to be in the army. One re- version of Reed that I like is that he's not just the the nebbish nerdish scientist, that mm. he has had the military career. I love I think visually this comes across most when Dale Eaglesham drew him, which was in the I short sleeve. Yeah. Yes. Displaying the guns thing. You know, he's a man of action. He's a bit more akin to Doc Savage. He's a nineteen fifties patriarch. Yeah. Mm. Like he's not he's not a modern nerd like he's a nerd from back when even men were men like even nerds were men <laughs> yeah i mean he, he can fight he taught sue judo yeah <laughs> which is good because that involved meant that she couldn't have any agency of her own yeah um, <laughs> he's got that uh that comic where he was indiana jones for a few issues oh go on <laughs> before the fall before the fall oh god yes yeah it's They've got been... um uh what's his girlfriend called she came oh, back for mark Miller's yeah, it became run. a brain yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. I I know who you're talking about, but I can't name her because it involves the Mark Miller run, and yeah, that's many many years away, so I don't have to think about it. Um, <laughs> that's another one I read, but um, yeah, not yeah. great. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> <laughs> um, the the only other thing I was just going to say about that that line of reads is that I I think it's great that of all the things he could think of to oh, to boast God. about with his relationship with Sue. Uh, is the fact that he's engaged to the hottest girl on the planet? Yeah, I mean that oh. that doesn't sound like Reed Richards, does it? Like, no. He, the fact that his wife is hot is incidental to Reed Richards, right? Mm. Yeah, you, you could only imagine. Yeah, yeah, and it's look at what I've obtained, not the fact that I'm in love with this person. Yeah, yeah. And look she at, lo- look and at she what I have. Back. I have. It, I own this woman. Yeah. And I let her out of her box occasionally, Ugh. and then I put her back in it. Yeah, she might as well be a Funko. <laughs> There's a bit, actually, when um, Sue's preparing for the wedding that doesn't go ahead, she starts going, this this doesn't feel right. And when I was watching that, I was thinking, like, are you talking about your wig? Because <laughs> it doesn't look right either. Yeah. Well, it didn't, didn't she almost lose all her hair because of the bleaching in the first film? Yeah. 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 So... 
kind of had to be that. Are they, I mean, they have no problem making Johnny Storm have the wrong color hair. Why not just let Sue Storm have the wrong color hair as well? It's fine. Mm. Mm. We don't mind. It, no one noticed. Actually, no, people did notice Kate Mara's hair, didn't they? Yeah, because it kept changing. <laughs> yeah. Um, other random things did. What do we think of this version of the Fantastica? I'm sort of okay with it, given what they yeah what they did yeah. in the first version. Yeah, I'd like to get a little more bathtubby, but that's just me with my sixties fetishism. <laughs> mm. um, I mean, you have to kind of make it look like it can fly. Yeah, at least what I want <laughs> to see is all the footage of them after they've some of the Fantastica sitting around waiting for this um, thing to make its way from New York to Siberia. Because it seems to get there in five minutes flat, and it yeah. should have taken hours. I just want it right. Well, Doom's off destroying the Great Wall of China. Can we go anywhere? No. Just um, <laughs> cards, anyone? Yeah. And I really like the uh, cartoon, the '90s cartoon version of the Fantastica, where it looked like a sort of jet plane that had open tops mm. with sidecars. It's good fun. Um, is there anything else particularly notable that we haven't covered? There are some excruciating scenes. The whole stuff in the club uh, for Reed Stag do and his dancing is just painful to watch. It looks cheap. There's no imagination behind it. And I just... Oh, look, he, he stretched his leg out a little bit in a straight line and brought it back. Yeah. That makes everyone go, woo! Yeah, it's like, it's not actually... The, the idea of Reed in that scene, like having that happen... Is not actually the concept's not a bad idea. It could be a fun scene, and then just in the execution, it's yeah. so flat that you lose what would be the fun thing, which is oh, this is Reed actually cutting loose and being a bit ridiculous and then getting caught. Yeah, know? I mean that yeah. that stuff sort of works, and like I I like the interplay where you're like Sue's being a little bit sour, and then she's like, oh, it's fine, I had more fun anyway, and you're like, wait, what? Like it's it's mm. a cute little moment, and that it could the film could have done with more of that and could have done more with it like actually one of the things that i really like about this film is that it plays up the celebrity angle of the fantastic four yeah and i think it's uh, there's well, that's what struck me in the opening scenes was the fantastic four give you an opportunity to do that that you don't often get with superheroes yeah because normally they're like and dark it, vigilantes who no one yeah. no one knows who they are but in this iron man does it a bit but also you get mm. you get the impression like Tony Stark's ego is big enough to handle it, whereas this is more yeah. like, you mm. know, by by accident you've become famous. How do you keep yourself sane within that framework? And the MCU very quickly got disinterested in how normal people interact with superheroes. Yeah, like there are no normal mm. people in the MCU anymore. I think yeah. the closest they got was the pilot of Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. <laughs> but, you know, you never have a bit where... Caps being mobbed or something like that. Yeah, Tony I mean, Stark Iron Man 3 does, has Tony yeah. Stark go and meet some regular people, and that's about it. But it, mm. I, you remember that great San Diego footage of uh, Danny Jr. just dancing to Lionel Richie through Hall H <laughs> and yeah. then onto the stage. They need you know, a moment of that where he really plays up the I'm the biggest thing in the world mm -hmm. and I love it would have been lovely. But yeah, um, mm. the, the other scene that really sticks out for me, just because I. Uh, it frustrates me at the lack of imagination in the film is when um, Johnny and Reed are talking towards the start of the film and Reed keeps pushing his chair out of the way to go working on a different computer. Mm -hmm. And I thought, you've got the stretchy guy. Why doesn't this chair move but his arms stay where they are? And by the yeah. end of it, it's a, it's a cheap joke, but you reveal that because he's constantly trying to avoid talking about his feelings, he's literally wrapped himself in knots on it. 
I mean, that would, that would have been a good moment. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. Let's use the powers to illustrate the psychology of the character. It's, that's too smart for this film, Steve. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, I did. I did like his constant obsession with a Nokia. Um, early oh smartphone. god! Oh <laughs> god! <laughs> oh, that dates worse than any of the special effects. How much of well, how much of the plot happens as a result of that fucking tiny phone thing? Like, come on! What What I quite like about it is that, like, what he's got there is not what phones were like in two thousand and seven. What it's like is Reed has got this really amazing, fancy, clever touchscreen phone that's a Nokia. Um, the only thing that's dated badly is the fact that it's a Nokia and the fact that it's in quite a big, chunky case. Otherwise, you know, all of those scenes with him on his phone could have come from 2019. Yeah, I mean, they they sort of by accident hit on the idea that, like, he's avoiding talking about his feelings by concentrating on his phone and the, the yeah. tiny world inside it. <laughs> yeah, that was a quite accurate bit of prediction. Yeah. It's just a shame they had to screw it up by putting it on a Nokia. Uh, the only other thing I wanted to point out is just that the, the soundtrack is incredibly dull as well. It, it's fantastically generic, and it's John Ottman who has written far better stuff, admittedly, when he's got the rights to John Williams' music. But <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I I don't remember anything about it. I, I should point out Academy Award-winning editor John Ottman. <laughs> Do you know John Ottman? I'm pretty sure I'm right. He worked on X Men, right? Yeah, he's he's scored. All of Brian Singer's films, basically. Yeah. And so, he's edited a whole chunk of them as well, which is a real surprise to find out. <laughs> so John Ottman wrote a screenplay, or co-wrote a screenplay, um, that was a Beast solo movie set in no. the first class uh, universe. Wrote, he wrote it on spec, and you can download it on the internet. Hmm. Wow. Yeah. And yes, he, he's, he, he won the Oscar for, um, <laughs> for the infamously good slash bad editing in Bohemian Rhapsody. Yep. Yeah. It's, it's called X-Men Fear the Beast, if anyone wants to look it up. Mm. So all in all, where does it sit? And this kind of raises the question of uh, what does Steve really think about 2015? <laughs> where does this sit in the Fantastic Four movie canon? And of course, we shouldn't forget the Roger Corman one as well. Right. My go-to line for the 2015 film is I'd much rather see and judge the actual intended film rather than what we got. Um, and I, 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 there's a bit of sympathy there, but I, I honestly, you want to release 20... the Snyder cut, do you? <laughs> <laughs> oh, I was about to make a really a, a joke. No, I'm that would actually be really cruel. The 2015 Fantastic Four film fails hugely, but it tries something. Neither this or the original Fantastic Four film really try anything, and on that basis alone, I actually rate the 2015 film higher than these ones. I think I like the I like the first Fantastic Four film, the first Tim Story one, most of the three. I don't disagree with what you've said. The problem with the story ones is that they skew incredibly young. It's almost yep. like you're watching films aimed at kids. I sort of think kids would, if I was a kid when I watched this, I probably would like it a lot more. Mm-hmm. Um... I don't think the first one is actively bad. I think the second one is actively bad, and I think the Trank one is a disaster on just about every level. So on that basis, yeah, I have to say the, the Tim Story first one is my favourite. I mean, to put it another way, I'm never going to watch the Story films again. There's a good chance in a couple of years' time I'll go, yeah, you know, I'll try the Trank one again. Yeah, I don't think I'll watch any of them again, if I can avoid it. 
I do just think it's remarkable that Fantastic Four films are all so short because I've just looked it up on all of them and I've in, I've included uh, the 1994 one. <laughs> there was no money uh, for a running time on that one. Well, <laughs> but if you, I mean, the, well, the funny thing is that obviously the 1994 one is the shortest one, but yeah. only by two minutes, and it's only 16 minutes shorter than the longest one. Right. Uh, because the four films are 90 minutes for 1994. Uh, a hundred minutes for uh the first Tim. Uh, no, sorry, hundred and six minutes for the first Tim story. Uh, ninety two for this one, and only a hundred minutes for twenty fifteen. Right. So in total, it's three hundred and eighty eight minutes, which means the average length of a Fantastic Four movie, considering that three of them are in the twenty first century, is ninety seven minutes. <laughs> right. Which I believe is as long as Dave Lister was in art college for. The MCU could learn a lot from that. <laughs> yeah, you've got to balance out an end game. <laughs> um, mm. Yeah, okay. And then just generally on the Corman one, it's not great to watch, but I since watching the documentary Doomed, which is available on Amazon Prime, I, I've got a lot more respect for almost everyone involved except for Corman. Um, And I strongly recommend seeing that because there is so much passion from especially um, Alex Hyde White and the guy that played the thing and and what they put into that film, not knowing that it was never going to go anywhere. So, yeah. Steve, uh, while while we've got you here, I'm interested to hear Uh your thoughts on how you think the Fantastic Four will enter the MCU, if indeed they will. Yeah, well, Kevin Feige mentioned them at the end of his presentation, so in three years' time we might get a title card. Um, (laughs) I mean, the thing everyone goes for is to do a retro adventure and then have them lost in time and then they pop back out in the present (laughs) day. That's certainly the thing me and Seb go for. Well, the problem with that is... I go for Parallel Universe, actually, Joe. Close enough. Yeah, so the problem with doing that is, is the retcon. How do you then make Iron Man special... When you 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 got away with it with Captain Marvel because she was secret, no one really knew her, and then she was straight off into space. But to have the Fantastic Four be the sixties FF and then gone, and then everyone forgets about them. Uh, what are you gonna do? Have Marvel Boy punch a crystal wall until they forget? <laughs> traditionally, traditionally, you have Doctor Strange change everyone's memories. Yeah, I um, but I you know, alternate universe would probably be a bit better. Um, trapped in our universe, unable to return. It could tie in with the idea of the the multiverse of madness. They don't actually have a home to return to and have to rebuild themselves, having gone from being at the top of their world to completely unknown in this one. Mm-hmm. Could work. I th- I think that would be a better way of doing it. What what? How do you rebuild when no one knows who you are? How about if they just do uh, the Fantastic Four happen like their origin happens in real time? today how would you feel about that well we had that didn't we well quite but you know yeah. 10 years on <laughs> yeah um you could do that as well i the the problem with trying to do that uh, when you will have had close to 30 films at that point is what makes them special what's different about them that you can't have with however whichever version of the avengers you've got yeah fair i mean the thing the thing that i always think is the the retro future idea makes the most sense because the core of the Fantastic Four is that it's this sort of 1950s family unit. Families don't really look like that these days. Yeah. So... Which it, is why the the blended family in the Trank film, I actually quite liked how they did that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But I, I sort of think if you're going to do the classic version of Fantastic Four, 
do the 1950s version and use it to make commentary on the way things have changed and you know point out it's not necessarily a bad thing yeah or the other thing you could do is really push them because one comparison you can make is that they're a a version of the challenges of the unknown from dc why not push (laughs) them more in that direction so they don't have to be the big public celebrities but they're still doing the science the exploration and all of that and maybe they become superheroes in the present day yeah yeah, and the Avengers don't really do that kind of thing. That's true, except for the Quantum Realm stuff in Endgame. That's pretty fantastic forcey, wasn't it? Yeah. 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 I mean, the Quantum Realm is surely your ready-made way of getting the Fantastic Four in. <laughs> yeah, because they, they can just come out and be like, oh, we've we been in there since the 1950s. What's going on? <laughs> Who mm. knows what's back there? It's got Agents of Atlas, you've got everyone. You've got the 3D men. Yeah, got Michelle Pfeiffer's deleted scenes. <laughs> Uh, yeah okay um did you see some of the stuff that was planned for the sequel for this one i did not um black panther played by german honsu wow wow that would have been a good addition to the canon yeah and unfortunately more julian mcmahon because contracts i was gonna say would they have found a way to shoehorn dr doom in by any chance i i think so Hopefully in a pre-credit sequence that sees someone more interesting. Just just sort of push him off camera and go, goodbye. <laughs> <laughs> Who's the best Fantastic Four villain who isn't Doctor Doom? Oh, there's a few ways to look at this. I'd love Annihilus. I absolutely love Annihilus. I'm not sure he would work in a cinematic context because... Ultimately, his Annihilation Wave isn't that different from the Chitauri. But I think he's got a great visual. I love the fact that he's so ranty um, and also really petulant. Like, you touch his cosmic control rod, he will just throw a tantrum at you. <laughs> um, I love the negative zone, but I, I just love Annihilus. Uh, so he's up there. I've got a soft spot for Dragon Man, even before he became the, the Future Foundation version. Mm-hmm. Um and I also love kind of the sillier ones. I love how crap the wizard and the trapster are. Ah, uh, the frightful four. The frightful four, and I love how just their biggest enemy isn't the Fantastic Four; it's their inability to <laughs> yeah. agree and do stuff together. <laughs> There's so much bickering and bitching, and it's it's great. And the sort of villain, sort of ally that I genuinely love is Thundra. Um, she's absolutely brilliant. Yeah. I've just been reminded of something with this, which is, as you made me think of that when you were talking about other villains, and particularly villains from outer space. Everyone in this film is very blasé about the fact that, like, <laughs> an alien, all yeah. of a sudden there is proof of the existence of alien life. Like, it's literally just the surfer turns up and it's like they're expecting him to be from space and Reed talks in a really blasé way about life on all of these other planets being wiped out. It's like, whoa, 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 how did you know? That there were ever aliens anywhere. He just pointed his scanner at them and was like, yeah, there you go. There's a bunch of life on that planet that's gone. But then that also makes me, all of a sudden, now I'm wondering, and and again, Steve, you might know because it probably happened in Fantastic Four, but when was the first proof of alien life in the Marvel Universe? When was alien life first discovered by Earthlings in the Marvel Universe? Right. It must have been in Fantastic Four. Well, there's two ways of looking at it, because things like Groot had arrived on Earth in a late 50s sci-fi one-off story, but there was then retconned into the Marvel Universe. Yeah. But the first Mm. time from August 1961 onwards was uh, two months later. It was Fantastic Four number two. It was the first appearance of the Skrulls. And uh, and are people blasé about the fact that the scrolls are aliens, or is it quite a big deal that they've made first contact? It, it never seems to be a huge deal. 
I mean, in like Fantastic Four number eight, they've got more to be worried about. The Fantastic Four literally walk out from Congress, get onto a space a flying saucer, and zoom off into space. <laughs> um, so it, it never seems to be a big holy crap moment. It's funny, given that last issue they were just making the first space flights into. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh, I mean, it, it, it's one of these ridiculous things about universes. Like every now and again, DC will publish a comic where someone talks about Area Fifty One. I just go, Superman. come on he's right there just like how can you have alien conspiracies in this universe (laughs) but you know it's one of these idiosyncrasies about these universes yeah they have to try and stay close to our universe as much as they can without like that was one of my criticisms of agents of shield actually is that when i was watching the episodes i was fine it but then suddenly they'd be like Oh, you know, I, I've got a hammer. Look, I'm Thor. And then you'd be like, wait, if if you live in a world where aliens and superheroes exist, why are you not constantly talking about it? Like, don't mention it once. Like, it's a blasé fact of life. Like, be freaked out or just don't mention it because it really yeah. snaps me out of the story. That's one of the reasons why Iron Man 3 is in my very top of the MCU, because it actually deals with the impact of an alien invasion blowing up New York. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like everyone's traumatised. <laughs> Yeah, and then you just end up with, you know, Netflix people going, oh, yeah, and then there was the green guy. Yeah. Anyway, uh, let's not point the camera at where Stark Tower should be, because that would be expensive. (laughs) (laughs) And that is why Spider-Man Homecoming ruined the MCU. (laughs) Uh, Come and talk to Joe about Far From High. I I didn't listen to the episode. I couldn't. (laughs) Wise. yeah. Also, I saw the film really late, and it was taking up space on my phone, and it wasn't that good. <laughs> the it film, wasn't. not the podcast, right? The, the, the film wasn't that good. Yeah, that's why. That's why you should talk to Joe, right? Because he wrongly disliked it. <laughs> oh, okay, I've been put in my place. <laughs> but still, J.K., am I right? I just quickly, yeah. I want to point out actually on the topic of like how the universe re- reacts to aliens. Uh, I think there's some of that in Marvels, isn't there? Because Marvels deals with yes. uh, the coming of Galactus. And there's a yes, sort of street but... level perspective of people being like freaked out and then sort of gradually going like, uh, you know, we've seen a lot of crazy stuff. Maybe it wasn't aliens. Yeah. So um, issue three of Marvels deals with the arrival of Galactus. And you have this great sequence where you go from these double page spreads of the Watcher, the Silver Surfer, Galactus, the Fantastic Four, playing out the big moments of that. And then Phil Sheldon just making his way home as the world's about to end. And then right at the end Mm. of the book, people are going, yeah, no, it was the CIA or something. And he starts ranting at them about how easily they can just disbelieve what they saw. If you want to read a a really great version of of that, pick up Marvel's three. Um, It's genuine. It's some of the best Alex Ross art. It's some of his earliest as well. It, it it's superb. Yep, good stuff. Does that nicely cover off our recommendations? Because I mean, we could be here all day if we get you to recommend Fantastic Four. <laughs> yeah. So there's there's about six hundred of them. <laughs> um, I mean, if I I can do a couple of things if you want. This, you know what, this is this is the last opportunity we're going to get for quite a long time yeah. to talk about the Fantastic Four on here. So give us your absolute peak choices for. If someone is, is like me, sceptical, and wants to be shown just how good the Fantastic Four can be, where should they go? And don't just say the whole Lee and Kirby run. No, I won't. In fact, if you haven't, if you're not familiar with 60s comics, I'd say do not pick up the Lee Kirby run from issue one. <laughs> um, 
I mentioned the epic collections earlier. The volumes three and four of those. Volume three covers the original Inhuman saga and the Galactus trilogy and ends with this man, this monster. So you've got basically a really great run of Lee Kirby. Volume four covers the Black Panther stuff and I think ends with the um, Silver Surfer Doom quadrilogy to use a made-up word. That <laughs> Tetralogy. Should never have t- oh, okay. <laughs> See, I remember when Aliens was marketed as that. Um <laughs> So if you want to try 60 stuff, I'd say go for those. Uh, you can't go wrong with the John Byrne stuff. Um, but yeah, if you want to read a good Silver Surfer thing, I'd say actually stay away from the 60 stuff because it it is very melodramatic and also quite inert in places. Mm. You've got the surfer dude and he spends half an issue on his knees going, oh, woe is me, my life is so hard. <laughs> um, Silver Surfer Requiem from the mid-2000s. It was J. Michael Straczynski and uh, I can't remember who does the artwork. Uh, but that's a great mini series that focuses on the surfer and is it's just a really good uh, story of him. It's non-continuity, I seem to remember. So it gets to give a kind of ending. Correct me if I'm wrong, but the pre- premise of that is basically he finds out he's he's dying. <laughs> and then dies? No, Nobody's read it, have they? No. <laughs> I haven't read it in like 10 years. <laughs> um, you know, I'm now Googling to make sure I've named the right damn thing. So L- yeah, and that was definitely Michael a comic, Shinsky, yeah. 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 So Silver Surfer Requiem, uh, J. Michael Straczynski and Loading, Loading, Loading. Oh, Asad Ribic, who is uh, another fantastic of course, painter. Yeah. How, how, what do you feel about the Dan Slot uh, Silver Surfer? Because I know Seb and I are both big fans of it. Yeah, I think it's wonderful. The Dan Slot Silver Surfer is a great read from start to finish. There's loads of fantastic Easter eggs from the Marvel Universe. The explanation of Kirby Crackle, I <laughs> thought, was brilliant, beautiful, had me in tears. Um, if you like your Doc 2 fan fiction to be a little less obvious, you're probably not going to get on with it. But there is some, there are some fantastic plays with how to tell stories in comics. There's a, an issue where they're trapped in a Mobius loop that is structurally astonishing. Um, yeah, there's some really good stuff in there and a beautiful artwork by Michael and Laura Ulrich. Yeah, I mean that, I think if you're going to read a Silver Surfer comic I would go Dan Slot Run possibly uh, the Mobius one, the artist Mobius sorry, Stanley and Mobius uh, mm-hmm. Parable it's called, Silver Surfer Parable Yeah. That's a good one um, and That's quite a good standalone as well, same with Requiem whereas the Slot Run is going to be a number of volumes to yeah, yeah. see it through and um, in terms of the actual Fantastic Four, I would say Trial of Galactus, definitely, because that's how I came into it and really enjoyed that. Um, and, I mean, Hickman's Run. I really loved Hickman's Run, yeah. Hickman's Run is long and involved, though. Hickman doesn't write short things. That is um, true. You have to really stick with it to get the most out of it. Pick up the first volume of the Wade Ringo stuff. It opens with what was called the Fantastic Four. I think it was the 25-cent issue. It was It's the highest-selling Fantastic Four <laughs> comic ever because it was it was a lost leader. But it's yeah. a great little done-in-one that sets up who the four are in about 2002, beautifully drawn by the late Mike Waringo. Um, there is a line at the end of that that is heartbreaking um, where Reed says... Uh, once upon a time, a very clever man did a very bad thing. I, I think is, I'm paraphrasing the line, but it, it's that's a great place to start as well. Yep, even I've got that issue. <laughs> we all got it because it was like 10p. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, a, a few things to check out or just dive into Marvel Unlimited and pick up some comics, but avoid anything from 1989 to 1996 because that's basically one seven-year-long story that's not easy to get into. How is the current slot run on Fantastic Four? Because I dropped off it pretty quickly. I, w- I wonder how it proceeded. 
it's got better. Okay. <laughs> the war of so weirdly the War of the Realms tie-in was really good. It was basically the Fantastic Four throw a street party in Yancey Street and a whole bunch of ice trolls attack. <laughs> Um, there was a really good two-parter with um, the Hulk versus Thing on the Thing's honeymoon as he's counting down to his once-a-year turning back human, so he's got to beat the Hulk before he gets battered to pieces as a human. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. The spin-offs seem to be a bit weird, though. I'm not sure I get on with Future Foundation. The Yancey Street book doesn't seem to do it, but there is a... I can't wait for uh, Fantastic Four Grand Design. Yes. Which is going to be this retelling of the Lee Kirby run by the... Not Michael Five, is it? Uh, <laughs> I forget the name. The guy who did X Men Grand Design. <laughs> no, no, it's not Ed Piscor. It's oh, is it the not? Guy that did the Green Arrow. It's the guy that did the the Super Friends backups in Doom Patrol or okay. Cave Carson. Um, Tom Scioli. Okay. And I can't wait to get my hands on that because it'll be detailed. It'll be hilarious. He did a, a strip where Green he did Green Arrow as a, a Cockney gangster screaming "fuck off, you wanker" at people, and it was hilarious. <laughs> Oh, that sounds interesting. Mm. Okay, so yeah, lots of good Fantastic Four comics about them. Yes, for <laughs> sure. Yep. And so we say farewell to the Fantastic Four for, what, probably about three years on this podcast? <laughs> yeah, at least. Longer. We'll see, uh, we might do the Gorman we, movie. We could do the Gorman movie. Uh, I mean, yeah. Uh, we've got we've still got other bad '90s things, some of which were actually released to to cover before we get to that. Uh, but Steve, I'm sure we will. Uh, we'll certainly have you back next time we do something Fantastic Four related. But we'll try and get you back for something else at some point as well, because it has been a long time coming getting you on here. Thank you very much. Um, but before we do go, James, have you got a game? For I have us got a game. I've designed an, I've designed an all new original creation of my own devising. <laughs> Ripped off from someone then. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Very perceptive. Uh, I call this game Only Connect Four. So what I'm going to do is, for this game, I'm going to give you a set of... Well, I'm going to give you the first three of a set of four things related to the Fantastic Four. I would like you to... You get a point if you can complete the set and a point if you can tell me what the set is. Okay? Everyone clear on that? I feel like... Steve I'm, is at an advantage. I'm gonna, I feel like I'm going to be exposed as the sham I am. <laughs> well, I'm I'm going to start by... I'm going to give you three each. So I'm going to alternate. I'm going to start with Seb first, okay? And then if you have the same number of points, I'll get a tiebreaker out of the Marvel Universe book. Question book. <laughs> so, Seb, your first three clues are Mr. Fantastic, Invisible Woman, and The Thing. What's fourth? What's the last one in the set? It has to be what I've got Herbie. written down. Herbie, you have nailed it. Oh. You have nailed it. The set is members of the Fantastic Four who appeared in the 1978 cartoon. Oh, thanks. You just gave the answer without me needing to. But I thought oh, I was yeah, supposed you, to get a point you, you if could, I got what the set was. I mean, <laughs> what else could it have been, right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay, Steve. Seb has set a very high bar there because that was supposed to be a trick question. Um, <laughs> I know how your mind works, James. <laughs> so, Steve, your your first three clues are Hulk, Wolverine, and Ghost Rider. Mm. Remember, well, it's the it's the new Fantastic Four, and I kind of want to out trick you by saying the Punisher because he turns up in his most gratuitous guest appearance ever, <laughs> flying a helicopter in the final panel. Um, you said Hulk, Wolverine, and Ghost Rider, right? Yes. 
So the last one's Spider-Man. Correct. So you get two points as well. Good start for everyone. Okay, Seb, you ready for question two? Yeah. So your three clues are Mr. Fantastic, The Invisible Woman, and The Thing. (laughs) (laughs) Who is the fourth person and what is the set? Crystal. (sighs) I mean... No, <laughs> because it would have to. I'm sorry, I, I'm going to overrule and say no. It can't be because she was the invisible girl at the time. Uh, yeah, no. I mean, this, <laughs> this actually, I think, I think I can give you a point, Seb, because the answer, the set is. Uh, no, what's what do you think the set is? Um, members of the Fantastic Four when Crystal replaced Johnny. No, okay, that's incorrect. No. So I'm going to give you one point because <laughs> the set I had was members of the original Avengers team, by which I mean the Avengers up until they disbanded and became the new Avengers. Because every member except Johnny Storm has been drafted into the Avengers, and I think Crystal was an Avenger, am I right? Anyone want to hazard a guess? Well, She-Hulk would have been a better one for that. (laughs) She would have been a better one, but I think... I don't... Ooh. (sighs) Let's let's look it up. We're all doing that right now. Yeah. Control F Avenger joining the Avengers 2.3. And in again, Avengers 334. I mean, she was married to Quicksilver at the time, so I imagine she was yeah. on the team, right? She became a full Avengers member in, a member in 343. So, yeah, okay. There you go. Okay. So, Seb's on three points. Steve, it's time for your. Yeah, I should also point out that actually Crystal never replaced Johnny Storm as a. No, she replaced, she replaced the suit, suit yeah. while she was off. Um, <laughs> Being pregnant. Being pregnant, yeah. Mm. <laughs> On maternity leave. Okay, right. Steve, so... I'm so screwed now. <laughs> <laughs> the the three clues in your next set are Black Panther, Storm, and She-Hulk. Well, they've all been replacement Fantastic Four members, but never at the same time. Yeah. Black okay. Panther and Storm came in after Reed and Sue went off to work out what Reed's personality was after Civil War. <laughs> that is true. But She-Hulk wasn't in there at the time. Yeah, don't overthink it. That's my advice here. Oh, I'm going to go Luke Cage. Replacement Fantastic Four members who have also been Avengers. No, it was just Replacement Fantastic Four members. Oh, Um, okay. Oh, in that case, the list was endless. Yeah, I'm going to give you one point for that because you got a correct answer, but for the wrong set. So you're both on three points. Right. Okay. Seb, I would dearly love to give you the same three characters again. (laughs) (laughs) but i only came up with this earlier today and didn't have time to figure out a third set so this time i'm going to give you black panther human torch and she hulk name someone who can complete that set and tell me what the set is uh mr fantastic i'm afraid you're incorrect any idea what the set is People who've been members of the Fantastic Four. No, I'm afraid this is superheroes (laughs) who share the name of a member of the Fantastic Four. So it was Black Panther. Shuri was the Black Panther. And also the Black Panther was in the Fantastic Four. Uh, Jim Hammond was the Human Torch. And also there was a Human Torch in the Fantastic Four. Uh, Lyra is called She-Hulk. And there was also a She-Hulk in the Fantastic Four. So you could have had Nova, Richard Ryder. Or you could have had uh, Ms. Marvel, Sharon Ventura. But I'm afraid could I also no points for that. Not have had, I could also have had a different Ms. Marvel and, and a different Nova. Yeah. I could have had Sam Alexander and Kamala You Khan. could have, but you didn't. 
So no points there, I'm afraid. I could have had Spider-Man Miles Morales. You could have. I could have had Wolverine. It's too late. It's too late. Uh, Laura Kinney. <laughs> yeah. I, I feel like I want to strike this one down based on the fact that Nova was never a member of the Fantastic Four. I mean, okay. So yeah. if, if Seb had said Nova, I would have rescinded yeah. that point. But uh, so yeah. He, he didn't get it right anyway. So yeah. <laughs> okay. So Steve, oh, I feel like you've got a chance to win this one. I, I feel like I'm screwed. No, this one. You've got a chance to put us all out of our misery. <laughs> so, your three clues for your final question are Artie, Leach, and Bentley23. Oh, well, this is members of the Future Foundation. Uh, so, I'll go with Dragon Man. There you go. That was one I've got written down. So, you can get two points for that. That's good because I didn't have a clue about anyone else. I'm reading their <laughs> book and I don't know their name. I mean, oh, the joke. Thingy, pa- Alex Power. Alex yeah. Power, yeah. The joke for your one, which you didn't, you failed to grasp and would have got you an extra point, is that you could have given Spider Man for all of your answers. Uh... <laughs> but you got five points, Seb got three. So, Seb, I'm afraid you've lost this round. Fantastic. So, Seb gets taken off the podcast and I take over now. Yep, I believe so. Yeah. Right. <laughs> Ah, that was fun. Fun for me, anyway. I don't know about the rest of you guys. <laughs> I'm just glad I didn't lose because I'd have a very uncomfortable conversation with Andy the next time we recorded. <laughs> I like that game. Sorry. We might play Only Connect 4 again one day. <laughs> next time we do the Fantastic yep, Four. Yeah, I'm going to hang on to that one. Yeah. <laughs> uh, well... Thanks again, Steve, for coming on. Um, do you want to just remind everybody uh, where they can find your <laughs> yeah. podcast? Two hours after you last told us. Anything else? It's entirely possible <laughs> I didn't actually mention the name of the show at the top of the episode. Uh, but the, the podcast is called The Fantasticast. It, it's as torch- spelt as torturously as it sounds. Uh, that's at thefantasticast.com. Episode comes out every weekend. And uh, you can also find me on Twitter as at quizlacy. Great. Thanks very much. And as I say, hopefully it won't be uh, another five years before we have you on again. Um, uh, thank you for listening, listeners. If you enjoyed this episode and you haven't already, then please consider subscribing. You can find us on Acast, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Player FM, Overcast, Google, or pretty much any other podcast app of choice. Uh, we know there is an issue with uh, the show not updating on Stitcher at the moment, um, so we're looking into that. But if you're having trouble finding updated episodes, uh, just let us know. You can find a full searchable index of every episode at cinematicuniverse.com, along with all the subscription feed links and a big archive of features and reviews. If you're a subscriber who likes the show, please, please consider leaving us a rating or ideally a review on your podcast platform. It really does help us. We have a Patreon at patreon.com slash cinematicuniverse, which helps us to get the podcast edited and produced and convince our families that the show isn't a complete and total waste of time. If you back us on there, you get to hear episodes ad-free and sometimes early, as well as occasional bonus material. Thanks to Brendan Roberts for being a top backer and to nobody this time around for being a new <laughs> That's worrying. Buy... <laughs> Uh-oh, the wheels have come I off. Know, it's, been, it's, been, it's been a couple of months now. It's all Joe's fault. Um, you can buy our merchandise at cinematicu.redbubble.com. Get in touch with us on Facebook, on Twitter, at cine underscore verse, or with an email to editorial at cinematicuniverse.com. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next week. Goodbye. Goodbye. You know, people laughed at me when I said I wanted to be a stand-up comedian. 
Well, they're not laughing now. Cinematic Universe returns in two weeks' time with Joker.